Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.net. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Shag, and do you realize what where we are here right now? On a podcast? We are on, well, yes, but we are on the back nine of Who's Who. As they say in the golf business. I was going to say, for you you nerds at home, that's a sports reference. (laughs) (laughs) That means we're more than halfway through the book. Can you believe it? Uh, It is. I I really, honestly, I thought we'd peter out after about five episodes. (laughs) I did. I thought, this is the greatest project ever. We'll never finish it. And we are are at just past the halfway mark. How exciting. Unbelievable, huh? And there's still so much good stuff ahead. There is. There is. Woo! I can't wait. Well, folks, first thing we want to do is give thanks to our sponsors, In Stock Trades. Uh, if you're not familiar with In Stock Trades, they are your best source for online, I'm sorry, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. I um, picked out, I picked out two, truthfully, so I'll rush through them just so I can hit them both. Uh, one is Manhunter, the special edition trade paperback. Now, this is the Archie Goodwin, Walt Simonson, awesome, awesome sauce, uh, Manhunter, this thing that had you know, the backup strips in Detective Comics that's still to this day regarded by so many people as, as some of the best comics out there. It's a short little thing. It's only 94 pages, but it collects all of those Manhunter strips, uh, and I want to say it's even got a silent one that uh, Walt did uh, after Archie passed away in the back. But either way, um, normally retails for nine ninety five. You can get it for $5.47. That's a heck of a deal. Yeah, those, those, those are great comics. Those are great, great comics. And uh, I, I, in full disclosure, it's actually sitting on my nightstand. I own it. I haven't read it yet. And it's like it's one of those, like, I'm, it's like when you save something, like a, a good bottle of wine or maybe a, a Klondike bar, you know, for... <laughs> Yes, those two things are frequently paired, a good bottle of wine and a Klondike bar. Well, no, not at the same time. But anyway, you save those, like, for a long time until you're like, it's the right time. I'm waiting for the right time. All right. The other thing I just want to mention is uh, the the marquee character of the book is Marsha Manhunter of the issue we're covering today. So I wanted to give a shout-out to Showcase Presents, Marsha Manhunter, Volume 1 trade paperback. And uh, this sucker is 544 pages long. Of the 1950s chocolatey goodness of Martian Manhunter. If you want to learn about his early stuff, we're talking stuff written by Jack Miller, art by Joe Serta. Um, you know, really great Silver Age Martian Manhunter stuff, and you can take that for whatever that means. Uh, anyway, retail is <laughs> for $16.99. You can get it for $9.34 off, which is 45% off. What you got? Uh, also, trading off of who's in this issue, I'm going to go with Madame Xanadu. Uh, she got uh, her own Vertigo series in the mid 2000s, uh, by written by Matt Wagner and drawn by Amy Reader, who 
really exceptionally talented. Now, for some reason, In Suck Trades doesn't have Volume 1 here. Maybe they're sold out of it at the moment. But they do have Volumes 2, 3, and 4. Uh, volume 2 is only $7.14. Volume 3 is only $9.89. And Volume 4 is $9.89. So these are they were a really fun book. The Phantom Stranger is like sort of an ongoing guest in them. Um, they feature the occasional cover by Michael Kaluta. You can't beat that. So it was a really, really good series. Uh, and so I absolutely recommend it. You can recommend any of those volumes. And um, you can find Volume 1. You don't even – it's a continued story, so obviously you want to start with Volume 1. But you don't absolutely have to. I found that the, the stories were in some ways kind of nicely self-contained or at least um, you, didn't ha- you weren't totally lost if you, if you missed an issue and stuff like that. So it was a really, really fine series. So go to Insock Trades, pick any of them up. Madame Xanadu Volumes through 2, 3, or 4. Yeah, it covers uh, different time periods of her life. So I mean, right. a lot of it is you know, during like the Dark Ages and stuff like that. I mean, right. it's really good stuff. I it blew me away. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Of course, Matt Wagner's you know he's Matt Wagner. So. Yes. All right, folks. Anyway, uh, as we were saying, you can find all this at InStockTrades.com. Again, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and collected editions, and we appreciate their sponsorship of the Firewater Podcast. So, here we are. Who's Who? The Definitive Directory of the DC Universe, Volume XIV. If you're Roman numerically challenged, that is Volume 14. And, uh, folks, this issue is cover dated April 1986. Actually hit the shelves, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for this information, hit the shelves on January 17th. 1986. Set your Wayback Machines for that, folks. And just to give you a little background on who's who, this is your first episode joining us halfway through, you weirdo. Uh, 26 issue series celebrating the 50th anniversary, and now technically we're on to the 51st anniversary of DC Comics at this point because we have changed into 1986. And um, it, it's an alphabetical listing. We're, today we're going to wrap up the L's and get into the first part of the M's. And uh, a couple different things to remember. No ads in this sucker. 32 pages, absolutely no ads. One dollar. I say it every month. I wish I could get a comic for a dollar with no ads at 32 pages with this many words. Our goal is that you don't have to have the comic in front of you. We're going to try and describe each page uh, and so you get enough information to, to get the gist of it. We're also going to put about maybe 10 or 15 of these images up on our Tumblr. Rob, what's that Tumblr address? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com Cool. Each entry is going to give you a color image in the foreground of the character. The background is going to have a single color uh, image that's going to maybe several images. It's typically you know information about the character's history, shows you their powers, different things like that. We call that the surprint, and that is the technically accurate definition. Yay. Just want to point that out. So single color background. Usually you get the character's face uh, that is unmasked, so you get a close-up of their face as well in the background. And then, of course, you get you know their the chunk of the text, which is like their personal data, which is their name, occupation, height, weight, all that jazz, their history, and their powers and weapons. So, and, um, you know, if you, if you want, um, you can find back issues of this podcast out on iTunes. You can also find it on Stitcher if you want like to catch up again for you weirdos that are starting halfway through. And if you talk about who's who on the interwebs, please, please use our hashtag, which is poundfwpodcast. It helps uh, other folks that are listening to the show find you. You guys can communicate, chat, t- tell each other why you're wrong about the Manhawks, and, uh, you know, really get into it. It's fun stuff. Now, Rob, we got a George Perez cover. We do. We do. He was back. As, yes, he was back as of last month. He This month he is inked by Dick Giordano. Uh, they always made a really good team. Uh, you were kind of critical of Giordano's inking on Paris Collins. What, do you, what is your opinion of him doing Perez here? 
It's not bad. Um, where you lose the the detail is always in the smaller characters in the background. And here you see Mark Moonrider in the back, and uh, and he's a little sketchy. So it's it's pretty much anybody in the background sort of gets the short shrift. The foreground characters really get the detail they need. Like Martian Manhunter, you can see the veins popping on his arm. I mean, you, need, you get the good stuff in the foreground. The background gets a little weak. But overall, though, it looks nice. It is a nice cover. Also, there's less characters to deal with. This isn't like yeah. issue one where there was just the cover was full of people. So it's a nice little bit. I like what's going on. Um, he, he's got a nice sort of layout. I like how the, the major disaster character, and I'm sorry, the um, Masters of Disaster character, the, the was New Wave, has created a giant wave that's running along the entire bottom of the page. That looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was thinking about the main character. Martian Manhunter is the main figure here on this cover. And the last month, you we talked about, I we sort of argued about that I thought Lois Lane should have gotten the complete solo slot, and you argued you know, completely understandably that Lightning Lad really deserved it as well because he was in the Legion and it was one of their hottest books. I'm a little, I'm a little surprised that Manhunter got it actually over Lex Luthor because yeah. Manhunter was not in his own book. He was in Justice League at this point. He, you know, he was never really one of DC's big guys. So th- this to me feels like a sentimental choice over Luthor. Um, it- it could be. It could very well be. He now he was the leader of the Justice League at this point. Uh, in fact, I think he had just become the leader right. uh, of the Justice League. So, I mean, he sort of does represent the Justice League in that slot. But I see they also fill the cover with, you know, some characters from the Outsiders. They've got Man Bat, who I, it really, it, it, it would have made more sense probably to put Luthor and Man Bat in the foreground. Yeah, Luthor to me is, I mean, Luthor's like, you know, the second most famous villain in all of comic books and outside of it as well. So, but, you know, I'm happy, but I'm not it, complaining. I'm glad that Manhunter got the got the knot. Yeah. Now, when I say Man-Bat, by the way, I'm not saying because he's such a critical character, but just he represents Batman so much. That's where I was going with that. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you get some fun stuff, too. Like, I, I like how Martian Manhunter is cringing from uh, Heatstroke, yeah. from the <laughs> Masters of Disaster, because it's fire, and he's like, Wah! you know, you get some fun st- stuff with um, Madame Rouge, where she's got Manhunter all wrapped up. In fact, the other Manhunter is sort of... I can't tell whether the two Manhunters are goading each other or trying to work together. I can't quite tell. <laughs> uh, there's some other cute bits here. Like, you get Mad Hatter. He, he's got a collection of hats, which is kind of funny. Those are all, like, he's got a New York Yankees hat, it looks there, and a beanie hat, and all kinds of fun stuff like that, and a bowler. Now, one thing that sort of stood out to me as a little unusual is you see Mal here who's featured in this issue, Mal, from Teen Titans, right. but he's in his Guardian costume, which he does not appear in in the comic. That's true. You're right. I didn't even think about that. You're right. Yeah. I also so like, that of, the, I like that there are marvels all over the place as well. I'm going to throw up a little in my mouth in a minute, okay? We're, we're going to have uh, we're gonna have some problems when we get to the Marvels family. I'm sorry. Okay. We just are. All right. It's well, going gonna, it's, it's gonna to get bloody up in here. All right. Let's get going. Let's get going. Well, I got to know, what's wrong with Mantis? What do you mean? He's all shaking and stuff. You see him up in the top? Yeah. He's quivering. Hmm. Oh, wait a minute. Where's Shakedown? Maybe Shakedown's doing that to him. That would make sense. I See, now I'm assuming it's Magnetic Kid is doing it to him. Because Magnetic Kid... Has oh, he totally is. Yeah. Mag- oh, look at you. Well spotted, sir. Thank well you. spotted. Well, I am the Legion expert here. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Boy, the hate mail came in for you, brother. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're going to go right into the letters page. Um... 
I'm not going to dive into many of these letters. Really, actually, there's only one letter I even want to mention. Uh, there's a lot of – this one's kind of a bunch of error checking. You know, we got a lot of a lot of letters are fine, but they're like, "Hey, you got this wrong." Okay, got it wrong. You're right. Thanks. Or here's why. There's only one that really jumped out at me, which is where somebody mentioned um, in Crisis Number Three, Blue Beetle uses his Mystic Scarab to stop the Shadow Beasts. According to Who's Who, Dan Garrett died before giving Ted Core the Scarab. Well, Len just out and out says, "Boom! The use of the Scarab in Crisis Number Three was a mistake, plain and simple." <laughs> wow. Okay, Len. Uh, maybe because Len was about to write. Uh, the Blue Beetle series has made me why he felt the need to come right out and say that. So I would have come out and just said something like, oh, Ted Cord acquired the Scarab in an untold tale, and then that got erased in Crisis. <laughs> you know, there's my no prize. Crisis covered up so many sins. Exactly. Uh, we got our, pronun- our much-needed pronunciation glossary we've been missing for a few issues here. And in case you were just desperately needed to know how to pronounce crypto, there it is. And Lady Chian. Lady Chian, we struggled with last, last episode. Now, to be fair, it's got Luther here listed as, uh, you know, Luthor. I think it should be listed four times, though. <laughs> just to, they could have put a little four next to his name or something like that. Right. And that just gives you a little bit of hint right as we're going in here to the first four entries of this comic. Each one is labeled simply Luthor. Luthor, Luthor, Luthor. <laughs> there is, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. There is one letter I wanted to mention because because yeah. it 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 it, uh, it hits on something we talk about every single issue, every every single episode. Who's who number ten's member of Era of the Month Club is Huntress Two. Her real first name is Helena, not Selena, as listed in that issue. Selena was her mother's name, which was correctly identified. Jeff Peckham, blah 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 blah. And then the answer is that is the rare thing known throughout publishing as a major oops. We're not sure how <laughs> I, we're not sure how it passed the writer, the associate editor, the editor, and the guy who staples each issue. But there it is. Obviously, it's <laughs> corrected in our updates. Now we notice Brenda Pope is not mentioned in that list of people. Uh, so, yep, Brenda Pope was the proofreader for the first ten issues yep. or so. I don't think I the know. guy who stapled it had anything to do with it. It's not his responsibility. I, it is. It is unfortunate they threw the stapler under the bus like yeah. that. Jeez. I mean, that poor guy. What's, yeah. you know, he's just he's doing his job. <laughs> chunk, 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 and he takes a hit for Helena yeah. versus Selena. Yeah, wow. to do. Also, I guess something else worth mentioning is there's another answer. It talks about we intend on devoting time to special who's who's based on the Batman family, Green Lantern Corps, et al. So there's another mm-hmm. whole set of who's who that we never got to see. They've already yeah, promised they, the Superman family. Now they're promising a Batman family and a Green Lantern Corps. I think they promised us the Green Lantern one previously. I think they yes, promised think Green right. Lantern, New Titans, and Superman. I think this is the first time we've seen the Bat one mentioned. Yep. Batman one. That would have been wrong great. That, that would have been awesome. I would have loved that. Uh, Batman one? Would have killed They could they could have made so much money off this. Yeah, I get that was the one. I when I read that again, I was like, "Wow, I'm surprised they never did that." That seems like a guaranteed sales driver. Jeez. I know, I know. I mean, Marvel. I want to say did that with their uni- Marvel universe, in, like in the last 15 years or so, sort of specialized them towards certain target right. characters. I think right. so. It's money to be had. You just leave money on the table. There you go. So, all right. First entry: Luthor. How do we pronounce or- that? Wait a minute. Let me look. Okay, Luther. Okay, got, it. got it, yep. And as the cover indicates, this is technically Luther 1. Drawing by Wayne Boring and Dick Giordano. And if you're expecting your atypical or your typical Luther here, folks, you might be surprised this guy's got red hair. Huh? So this is Lex Luther. I'm sorry, Alexi. Alexi Luther. Love the love the European name. Alexi Luther, who first appeared in Action Comics number 23. Now I went back and took 
did a quick look. He's got, obviously, a lot of appearances, because he's Lex Luthor fighting Superman. But it was right around 1954 when they stopped. So, and that's where they would have translated, you know, the way they would have started putting the Earth-1 Lex Luthor, you know, where they did the whole Earth-1 or Earth-2 split. Oh, but, yeah. So, yeah, the, this Lex Luthor was the primary Lex Luthor all the way up through the 1954. What I would be interested in knowing is up through 1954 if he ever lost his hair. I don't think he did. I think that really, was, he kept it that long. I think because I think that was a, that was a, a, a the, that Superboy story where he make sure sure. But what I'm saying is like I figured he always lost his hair after I don't know a few appearances. Oh, I see. And then they just sort of retconned and said, oh no no, he always sort of like the way they do the Golden Age Superman's S. You know, it got right. it got itself straightened out after a while. But then after but once they brought back the Earth Two Superman, they sort of drawn his S goofy. Michael yeah, Bailey, answer this for us. There we go. We need an answer. Now, uh, a couple f- things in here. There's there's actually quotes in here. Yeah, I was from, about to get on that. Yeah, it's like one of the rare listings that actually has lines of dialogue. Yeah, well, we're going to get to some more actually in this issue, believe it or not. But yeah, it's great. It quotes Crisis when he says, says Angered at Earth One's Luther being made field commander, Alexi declared, My genius is far greater than his. You don't need him. Brainiac replied, you are correct. We do not need two Luthers. And he promptly killed Alexi. <laughs> that really was one of my favorite deaths in Crisis because it was so ignominious. I mean, it was just, <laughs> you know, like, hey, so, wait a minute. Brent. Okay, that's it. <laughs> Another thing here worth mentioning is I didn't realize this, but the teaming up of the Earth 2 Luther, which is this one, with the Earth 1 Luther resulted in the Earth-3 Luther becoming the world's first superhero. <laughs> I always knew that I always knew Earth-3 Lex was a hero, but I didn't know it was because of these two guys. So, interesting. So, and he first faced Superman in Europe. And really, if you read this, he sounds like he was probably a European dude. All right. Okay. No superpowers, but once obtained the Power Stone. Yeah, there's a lot of um, Golden age type stuff in here. That, like, they, like, they spent a whole huge section sort of describing, like, the first half of his history is all about what would have happened before his first adventure, really, with Superman. So it's a lot of history there. Anything further? Nope. Moving on. Luthor! Surprise. Luthor 2, by, art by Kurt Swan and George Perez. And this, this looks nice, by the way. You know, we really didn't, I'm sorry, we didn't actually mention much about the Wayne, I'm going back a page, mention much about Wayne Boring and Dick Giordano. It's a very nice page. Yeah. Uh, I, like, yeah. I like Luthor here. He looks almost, almost like a Boxer. I mean, he's got he's got muffed hair. He's got a big nose, you know, like a big, almost broken nose. He looks rugged, and he's in sort of a, a gray, you know, jump work work suit, jumpsuit sort of thing. Well, I assume they're prison togs. Oh yeah, that would make sense too. And in the background, he's got some big gadgets that he's blasting open a safe, and he's shooting Superman. So it's, it's a nice it's a nice enough drawing. Yeah, I think I think all of Wayne Boring's stuff in Who's Who were nice because they, they paired him up with really nice inkers. They paired him up with Ordway and then Giordano. So. Yeah, yeah. The Ordway stuff was brilliant last issue. This, this is this is nice, but the Ordway, wow. Okay, Kurt Swan and George Perez. This is a beautiful Lex Luthor drawing. I mean, it's really it's a perfect combination. You get George's incredible amount of detail, but you get Kurt Swan's classic face. You know, so it really is. It's a nice combination. So in the foreground, you have um, Lex in his green battle suit. Green and purple battlesuit, superpower suit, if you will. <laughs> Almost as if it was designed for that purpose. 
Perhaps so, and being really pushed heavily at this exact time. And in the in the background, you've got you know a nice close up of his head. You've got him in jail building some kind of device, which is pretty, pretty cool. Him battling Superman and his classic super friends, uh, purple and green togs, and then him in some sort of command chair in the new uniform. So it's nice. Now the only thing that kind of takes away from this is that the drawing is really small. Yeah, well, there's there's so much to get into. You know? Yeah. I mean, you you could have given Lex, this Lex Luthor two pages if you didn't have four Luthers in the book. I, yeah, exactly. I I tend to always argue every issue that so and so should have gotten two pages, and I was I'm going to refrain from that this time. But yeah, I think you, <laughs> I think he needed it because him and Joker are the two, you know, I think the two villains that deserved it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now um, it says in here that his hair was originally brown, which I found interesting, just because the post crisis Superman had the red hair, much like the Earth two. Uh, le- Sorry, the Earth One, blah, 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 blah. The post-crisis Lex Luthor had red hair before he lost it. And in here, the Earth Two Lex Luthor has red hair, and now they're telling me the Earth One Lex Luthor had brown hair. So I was just surprised to find he had brown hair. That's a big, long story to get to that. Sorry about that. As you read through, if you don't know the Earth One Lex Luthor's history, <laughs> it's kind of goofy. Uh, him and... Superboy were actually friends in Smallville. They actually were pals. I hate like that idea. I really hate that <laughs> idea. Well, it's it, it keeps coming back. <laughs> Even though it goes away, it comes back. Uh, Jeff Johns brought it back. So anyway, him and Lex were friends in Smallville growing up. And he wanted to help Superboy. Uh, and he did all these things. And he tried to find a cure for kryptonite. Well, he had a lab explosion or, some, or fire or some such thing. And in the effort of putting out the fire, Superboy... Um, wrecked the lab and knocked over some chemicals. Call, I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me get this right. <laughs> All right. Lex, I'm going to read this. He had, Lex, Lex had already done what no youth could have expected to achieve. He had created life in his lab. This protoplasm he made was to be the source for the antidote, meaning to kryptonite, for Superboy. But as an excitement, in his excitement, Luther knocked over some chemicals causing a lab fire. Superboy blew out the fire, but his super breath accidentally destroyed the protoplasm, and the resultant fumes made Lex's hair fall out. Lex blamed Superboy, claiming the teen of steel had done it because he envied Lex's genius. So, there is the crux right there of Superboy and uh, Lex Luthor's hatred, or Lex's hatred towards him, that he, that he accidentally, in, in an effort to help, you know, the, the whole, um, what, 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 there's a good Samaritan law doesn't apparently apply here. He tried to put out a fire and it caused Lex to lose his hair and therefore became a lifetime of hatred. Yeah, that, so. is, that is some thin gruel. I'm sorry. <laughs> the an entire, yeah, I, 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 I really do believe that John Byrne, did Luthor a solid by re- <laughs> re- rejiggering that uh, that backstory. I agree completely. Uh, um, but now Lex is back to living in Smallville at some point, and him and Clark knew each other. Well, actually, you know, I don't know what it is in the New 52. I just know it was that way right before the end of the or classic post-crisis universe. Right, and so, it went and, that way on the show, of course, as well. And Smallville, yeah. yeah. That, that ran now, for 17 seasons. <laughs> I remember this origin, actually, from the Super Friends cartoon. Where they had yes, an episode. Yes, they did it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's how I knew this origin. Anyway, so that's the crux of their their problems. Now, Earth One's Lex had some crazy stuff going on, guys. He went off to another planet at one point, became their hero. He has kids. I've forgotten uh, all about that until I read this entry. Oh, yeah. Okay, Le- Lena. Uh, Lena, his daughter, I want to say. Uh, his sister. I'm sorry, Lena's his sister. Uh, he has a son, Lex Luthor Jr., all this stuff, this planet. 
out there where he was the hero, and then it it, it got destroyed. They, well, they changed the, the planet's name to Lexor. It was out there. And then there's this whole bit in here where um, they talk about Lex's sister. And it goes on for quite a while, talking about how they tried to keep Lex's sister a secret from him. So there, there was a lot of deep stuff going on with Lex in, uh, in, the, in the bronze and silver age here. It's crazy, crazy stuff. That's all you got? That's all I got. I've, <laughs> I've said my piece on Luthor, too. We got four more Luthors or something. So, <laughs> All right, next up is... No surprise, Luthor. This would be this is Luthor three. Um, the, the the search for Spock. Uh, he's uh, this one is Alexander Luthor, who is from Earth three. So he is of the world where they have the crime syndicate, and he is the world's only superhero. And he is married to Lois Lane, or in this world, Lois Lane Luthor. <laughs> So he, uh, because of some jiggering with Earth-1 and Earth-2's Lex Luthor, he chose to become the hero of Earth-3. Uh, now, here's the interesting thing. He married Lo- he married Lois. Lois was the Earth, you know, married to him in Earth-3. But if I remember right, in post-crisis, I want to say Superwoman is Lois. Isn't she? I, I do not recall that. That's what I thought. I could be wrong. Somebody tell me. You people make that happen. So, anyway, uh, they had it. By the way, the art is by Richard Howell and Mike DiCarlo. It looks fine. It looks nice. It looks like classic Bronze Age sort of superheroic stuff to me. He looks like he was built for a superpowered figure. He does. He really does. You know, he's got that cool helmet. He's got the giant L. He's got the cool kind of vest, and you know, it's sort of an upshot, so he makes him look really big and tall and everything. It looks good. So, in the serpent, you get uh, him fighting Ultraman. A nice close up of him um, stealing Oliver Queen's goatee, and, and him cradling uh, Super Lois, so, or Lois, his girlfriend, his wife, and their baby. Now, here's something that you know. Every once in a while, you just have like a, I could have had a V8 moment. I had one of these when I was reading this. I don't know how I never picked up on this. Like, totally, duh. What does Luther do with his son in Crisis? He sends him off to another world before his, yeah. before his universe is destroyed. Exactly. Just like Jor-El did with kal <gasps> I just never put that together. Seriously? Seriously. Wow. I just didn't bother to think about it. <laughs> I never, I, I guess, you know, sometimes you say you don't read comics deeply. You just read them. Yeah. I guess I just read that. Yeah, wow, man. Jeez. Okay. So, dur on me. Okay. Uh, or dur me 20 years ago. Let's put it that way. So, anyway, uh, fine enough entry. Looks good. Um, always happy to see the crime syndicate stuff from the Bronze Age. Love that. So, there you have it. Moving on. Guess what the next character is. You'll never guess what the next character <laughs> Well, you've got uh, the book in front of you, so you're cheating. Yeah. So. I, I personally have very little say about this Phoebe. So, you can just go ahead and we'll just... Oh, no. We're talking about this. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying you go ahead. I'm not really I know, I know. I just found this guy to be just so lame. <laughs> this next character is named Luthor. Uh, Alexander Luther Jr. He's technically Luther Four. He is also from Earth-3. He is Alexander Luther's son from Earth-3 who was rocketed to Earth-1 during Crisis on Infinite Earths. He showed up at the beginning of Crisis as an infant, quickly aged to teenage or young adultness. And it, he actually has this unique superpower. He is like, 
Uh, he can summon forth antimatter, so half his body is almost antimatter. He's basically a doorway between the matter and antimatter universes, and he becomes an integral part of saving the day in crisis. But he's also a bit of a just weak, lame guy. He reminds me a lot of Jericho, actually. But <laughs> he, carry, he wears this kind of goldish outfit. And um, he served a couple purposes. One was to, as we said, do that sort of Superman parallel. He also served as the bridge between the matter and antimatter universe. And then most importantly, at the very end of Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, uh, he, well, you know what? Here, I'll just read it to you. At the end of the so-called crisis on Infinite Earths, Alexander Luther opened a one-way portal to an unknown dimension, which allowed Superman, meaning the Golden Age Superman, his wife Lois Lane, and Superboy of Earth Prime, and himself, to survive the complete annihilation of the Anti-Monitor. Alex and company are now elsewhere and can never return. Never. They, and they never did. And then it goes on here. It says Alexander Luther can summon forth antimatter energies to open a door to other worlds. His power was eliminated upon opening the final door into that unknown limbo. And that door can never be reopened without the complete and utter destruction of all life everywhere. Do you hear that, Wade? Now, oddly enough, um, written in crayon underneath this in my copy, it says, unless Jeff Johns makes Superboy punch a wall. So, I don't know what that means, but whatever. <laughs> Apparently, that can be undone if Superboy punches a wall. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it wasn't Wade. It was Jeff. That's right. That wasn't Wade. I was thinking of something else. Sorry, sorry, Mark. Not that you're listening. But. So this this neat little wimpy, nerdy character then became the villain of Infinite Crisis because you know clearly when Marv Wolfman wrote this entry, he was making a point. It stops here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what that entry says. It says no more. Stop it. And um, some people just didn't care. <laughs> the art's beautiful, though. It's yeah, George Kirk. Sure, sure, sure. So you, you get, um, you know, Kirk's son from Star Trek II here with the red hair. Because <laughs> he does have the per- same he perm. He does that, look like Mary Buttrick. That's true. He has the exact same perm as Kirk's son uh, in red with red hair in his gold costume. And you can see in, there's a lot of shadow, but the shadow is actually Starfield, which looks kind of nice. And then you get a really cool blue serpent in the back with uh, six panels. Which are pretty cool. You know, you got the, the baby leaving the planet. You got him growing up. You got him opening the doorways. You know, some neat stuff. Looks good. So, that's all I got to say on that guy. Let's go. Nick, next up. Okay. This is where the crazy sauce starts to spill out the jar a little bit. <laughs> Maldor the Dark Lord. Okay. By Kurt Swan and Dave Hunt. We got another redhead red-haired perm for long-haired long-haired red-haired perm guy in a you know gladiator type outfit carrying a golden sword uh and in the you can tell how excited am i about this in the background he's got some monster who's battling superman and power girl and then he's fighting a green lantern now here's the deal guys here's here's a sickness that happened in silver age and bronze age comics a lot which really bothered the crap out of me for some reason, and I'm just going to pick on the Bronze Age. Maybe some of these guys are actually Silver Age, but just go with me. For some reason, omniscient Bronze Age characters, you know, all-knowing, all-seeing, universe power-level creatures, used to, for some reason, saw the need to take humanoid, humanoid form, and usually in the shape of something from Earth's past, like a primitive warrior or gladiator or something like that, in this exact instance. And they would act and think like that type of person or humanoid would. Why? 
If you had the cosmos, you could do anything. If you were Q, if you will, you know, from Star Trek Next Generation, why would you dress as a gladiator? I just, I don't get it. It happens a lot. And it bugs the crap out of me. Apparently. So anyway, this, guy's, this guy appeared at DC Comics Presents, did some nonsense, fought Superman and Power Girl and the Green Lanterns, and that's all i got to say. And he died in the crisis. And uh, it says group affiliation none, which doesn't make any sense to me because he was clearly in several prog rock bands in the 70s. So. <laughs> I think he's in that animated uh, Cartoon Network death metal band too, isn't oh, he? Yeah, Metapocalypse or whatever. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah very possible. So... That's all I got to say on that. And I just pissed off a Superman fan. Whatever. All right. Next, oh, I'm going to go to the glossary on this one. Hold on. Uh, next up is Machiste. Machiste. Did I get, am I getting this right? Yeah, Machiste. You got it. Okay. Uh, by Mike Grell and Bob Smith. I really like this piece, and I like this entry. Uh, he's a black guy. He's got his head shaved, and he's got these kind of weird sort of thorny crown kind of it's not a crown of thorns don't get me wrong it's more like talons like three talons around his head and his he's wearing sort of a toga kind of thing because he's from the warlord comics you know he's kind of a sword and sorcery or sandal sword and sandal or whatever kind of guy and his hand has been chopped off (laughs) and it's been replaced by a spiked ball mace take that aquaman I know, dude, this guy's like hardcore. Hope he doesn't have to scratch his nose. Anyway, as you read through it, it's a very interesting history. I mean, he's tied up with Man I'm sorry, with Warlord going all the way back to some of the earliest appearances. He appeared in Warlord number two. And was, you know, kind of his uh his buddy, you know, his, his his partner through a lot of this. He was possessed by a sense of evil at one point, and in order to free him, they chopped off his hand. Ooh, kind of graphic, you know? And replaced it again with a spiked ball. He fell in love with one of the lead female characters from Warlord, and then did some kind of crazy time travel stuff. And, uh, but he, at this point, he was back in the Warlord comic, and uh, looks like it, looks like it was probably a really interesting character to read about. Really kind of piqued my interest. And again, the Mike L drawing is just beautiful. Didn't he get an action figure? Wasn't he one of the Warlord toys? He could have been a Remco action I think figure. he was. I, for some reason, I don't have the ad in front of me, and, uh, but I seem to think he was. He was part of that line. Well, it was definitely Warlord, Deimos, Arak, Hercules. Oh, okay. Oh, that was Hercules. It wasn't Mich- yeah, it wasn't Machiste. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Well, it's a nice entry. Mm-hmm. And it uh, makes me more interested about Warlord. So, there we go. Next up, Madam 44. Great name. Art by Yeah, I know. Art by Gil Kane. Now, this is sort of a companion piece to a couple of issues ago. We did the Johnny Thunder, in the, meaning the Old West Johnny Thunder piece that was also drawn by Gil Kane. That one was an exceptional piece, like one of the best Gil Kane's. This one's good. I just wouldn't rate it as highly as I rate the, the Johnny Thunder piece he did. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think this is really good. I think the Johnny Thunder one is probably his best moment in Who's Who. But, yeah. uh, but no, this is really dynamic. I, it's a really cool-looking character. It makes me want to read these stories, mm-hmm. uh, not just for the redheaded aspect of it. But it, 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 looks, <laughs> it just looks cool. Like, I love the name, and I love her look. You know, it just and there she is with Johnny Thunder anyway. So I, I, I kind of want to go find these stories. The gist of it is, you know, okay, we're talking Old West here, and she started off as sort of a, a Robin Hood kind of rich, uh, steal from the rich and give to the poor kind of thing uh, in the Old West, and she bumped into Johnny Thunder a few times. Now both of them were people who lived in this town and would disguise themselves. So he was like the school teacher and would disguise himself as you know by changing his hair color. 
and go out and, and fight bad guys. She was uh, – actually, I don't remember what she specifically – oh, she was a photographer. That's, that's right. And she would also color her hair. She was blonde and would make her hair look red. And she would go out in this white costume, uh, and by the way, she looks hot in it. And she would go, uh, you know, again, rot, steal from the rich and give her the poor. And eventually, uh, went ahead and started helping uh, Johnny Thunder. They sort of teamed up, and then I, I want to say they got married, didn't they? Uh, it does seem married. Yeah. No relative, John Tane, husband. Yeah. So there you go. Yep, they did get married. They had two children. There we go. So, so they and she continued to help him fight crime. So very cool stuff. Nice piece. In the foreground, you've got her riding a horse and shooting her gun. Bam, blam. Um, you know, obviously, they're probably 44s. Uh, the serpent's got this huge, nice picture of her pulling her little mask down so you can see her beautiful face. And then a little tiny picture of her with Johnny Thunder where both of them are, you know, fighting the bad guys together. Great piece. And like you, I, this makes me interested in reading it. Like, I would love to. Did they appear in All-Star Western at all? Did they? What do you mean? Did they appear in All Star West? In the, I'm sorry. In the all, the recent All Star. Oh, West. the recent one. Uh, no. That's a, that's a shame. I, I stopped reading that a little while back, but in the issues I read, she's not in it. One last question: How can you get away with wearing all white in the old West? Wouldn't it be dusty pretty quick? <laughs> it's a good question. I don't know. Well, maybe she never just got off the horse and just shot guys. How do you keep your whites white? I just don't know. So. All right, coming up next, Madame Rouge. Uh, Art by John Byrne. Really nice, very sexy drawing of Madame Rouge. Like an angry, evil sexy kind of is what it comes off as. It's like a Playboy pose, really. It really is sort of quite slutty. Uh, I mean, her boobs are kind of like everywhere. and well, she's... I, didn't say, I didn't say that. I but it mean, it's it, a pejorative. I'm just saying it's kind of it, Playboy. It looks like he used a nudie picture to base this oh, on. All right. Because if she was wearing real clothes, her clothes would have supported her better than what you're seeing here. So, anyway. Uh, Emil backed me up on this one. So, uh, John Byrne had been drawing all of the classic Doom Patrol uh, characters and villains so far in Who's Who and continues it here. So it's nice to see. That, you know, it would be kind of fun to collect those, like to put them just all together. I was thinking that. Like a Who's Who in, in Doom Patrol. And they would be right, really remarkably uh, artistically cohesive. Yeah. And it'd be cool, you know, like if he did a Doom Patrol book or something. I bet it'd be really good and right on target and really in line with what the classic Doom Patrol should be. <laughs> And nothing like a, a forearm gorilla. Anyway, uh, she's a she's an interesting character. Uh, split personalities, you know, a lot of crazy sauce. So, which is kind of ironic that she's Madame Rouge, and if you move the G over one space, it could be Madame Rogue. And Rogue, also drawn by John Byrne in the X Men, had a, a split personality kind of problems too. So there's you know weird parallels there. Had a romance with the Chief from the Doom Patrol, which. Uh, we've talked about this in the Doom, uh, during the D issue where it was kind of weird how he had this romance going with her, or at least one of her split personalities, and then we find out years later supposedly he was married the whole time. You know, geez. Well, way to go, Niles. Class act. Anyway, she, she played a hand in the death of the original Doom Patrol where they basically uh, they captured the Doom Patrol and said that unless the four heroes allowed themselves to be killed, they'd blow up a small New England fishing village. It's so, one of the great comics of all time. <laughs> we've talked about it a few times, but I just... It, it's just awesome. So they're dead. So, and um, it talks about here how she died. So um, obviously she never appeared after this. So because you know she's dead, so she can't possibly come back. No, right. So, and there's a whole bunch of Frenchy French in here. And if Cisco was here, he could read it for us. I like her occupation: would-be conqueror and professional crimin- criminal, former actress and headmistress. <laughs> she's very busy. Mm-hmm. 
very, very busy. So in the foreground, again, we've got this sort of playboy, sexy image, uh, again, with, with the angry face. The background, you get a nice close-up of her angry face. Uh, um, looks a lot like Mirage, though, from New Mutants. Then you see her winding up Robot Man with her elastic, elasticity. That's Madame Rouge's power, by the way. She's got elasticity. And then the final shot is got, it looks like, I think it's Changeling smacking her into the machine where she died. Artistically, very nice. Mm-hmm. Really like it. So, All right. Up next, Madame Xanadu. What a logo. Love that. Yes. I wonder, if the, I wonder if this is the first time that logo appeared or if it used to appear on the cover to Doorway to Nightmare or whatever. No, I know it did. It did. Uh, okay. This is my favorite drawing in the book. I could see that. I mean, I love Michael Kaluta's work. I always have. This is a really beautiful drawing. It's very, you know, it's very alluring, but it's sort of not in a purient way. Well, I guess it is in some level, but it's just, I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful drawing all around. Uh, check out her shoes. <laughs> you have to go to a specialty store for those. You can't just get those at Target or something. Is there... Besides the fact that she's got insanely high heels to the point where her foot's arch is inhumanly probably painful. Uh, it's got like these wing backs, like almost like bat wings on the back of her shoes. It's really cool. No, it's, you're right. It's, it's very alluring without being too over the top. It's Mike Kaluta, if we didn't say that yet. Now, Mike, uh, did he draw just the covers to her earlier appearance or did he draw the comics themselves? I drew the comics themselves. You know, I take that back because I think uh, the insides were drawn by Marshall Rogers, actually. Really? So I think he just drew the cut. Co- yeah. Madame Zanadu got her own book in like 1980, and it was just a one off. It was one issue. And it was um, some weird experiment where like it was sold only in comic shops or something like that because it has no ads. There's a comic you love, no ads. Uh, yeah, it was, it's a weird little little hiccup in DC's history of, of, of having. We're experimenting with that, but um, yeah. From when I from when I remember, it was the inside was drawn by Marshall Rogers, and the covers were by were by Kaluta. Okay, all right, very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Doorway to Nightmare number one. Says that pencils were by Val Mayerick. Hmm. Okay. But that's just the first issue. I mean, there's a bunch of issues here that you know could have definitely changed by the end. She also went into the unexpected and House of Mystery and things like that. So neat character, uh, a fortune telling sort of character using the tarot. I mean, she's around nowadays. If you're listening to the show, I'm sure you know who she is. I mean, she's famous for having you know dark black raven hair, always wearing purple. Uh, being sort of sexy but not you know over the top and being sort of mysterious and reading tarot cards all the time. And that's kind of her gig here. I like how what she would do is people would come in, she would read their fortune, and sort of nudge them in a direction. And it was up to them to take control of their own destiny. But then once they had take, taken action to try and control their own destiny, she would step in to help. Was, I found the entry fascinating to read. She would step in to help people. Uh, after they had, you know, it made the effort to try and get their life on track. You know, maybe they didn't do the right steps or didn't have enough effort, or whatever. But she would step in to help, and then at the end, she would take a little keepsake as a memory for each one, and it was sort of like, you know, a symbolic uh, representation of the uh, that they became our magical artifacts and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I have two thoughts about Madame Zanadu before we finish up. One, her base of operations is Greenwich Village, New York which is the yep. same part of New York that Dr. Strange was in. So how did those two <laughs> ever team up? I would have bought that book, you know, DC, DC and Marvel present Dr. Strange and Madame Zanadu. And then two, Madame Zanadu's whole setup, which you just uh, elaborated, would make a great TV series. 
She would mm. she would be the main character. She would be like the sort of host character, and then you have different people coming in every week with their stories, and you tell like a different story. And at the end of the week, she keeps a little keepsake, and you just piles up at the end. That would be a great show. Like the Friday the Thirteenth TV series. Exactly. Ex- yeah. Except very better. much like that. <laughs> except better. <laughs> Are you knocking nineteen uh, eighties nineties syndicated? I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't because Joe Mello, former Joe Mello, who listens to the show, I think occasionally is like the biggest fan of the show. He's probably going to hate me for that. But <laughs> now her entry is really, really, really well written. Uh, I'm sitting here looking. I was trying to figure out who wrote her stuff. Uh, David Michelini wrote her first appearance, which I don't know if you ever read any of his stuff. He is uh, he's the master. He, he is killed so Aqua good. Baby. Did he really? He did. Well, you know, someone had to do it. Um, I don't care. He's so good. He's so good of a writer. So um, anyway, I it just this entry is written really well. It it, it reads very proto Vertigo. You know, the entry right here in Who's Who. So it's nice. Yeah. In my Kaluta. Mm-hmm. Woo! All right. Next up, Mademoiselle Marie. Uh, um, I thought she was part of a team, wasn't she? No, no, she was just uh, the French French Resistance fighter. Okay. Well, for some reason, I always thought she was part of a team. Clearly, I'm wrong. Who later had an affair with Alfred Pennyworth. See, it's all really screwy. This whole thing here. If you read, if you read the entry, it's knee deep up in that. In fact, most of her entry. Is not about her. It's about this supposed daughter that may or may not be connected to Alfred. Uh, art by Andy Kubert, by the way. So there you go. A little bit of family representation. Nice shot of her sort of uh, literally cliffhanger, cliffhanging, <laughs> uh, shooting a submachine gun one-handed and holding on to a, a cliff by a rope under the other with her red beret. I mean, pretty awesome right there. You get the serpent of her back-to-back with an American soldier blasting away at people. And you get a really tight close-up shot of her face. Beautiful face. Nice effect of uh, shadows and stuff. It's a well-done entry. The only thing anyway. about it, the only, the only part of it I don't like is the logo. The logo is just knocked out with some markers. It's the only part I don't like. Okay. I could give you that. But it may, may be legit. It may be that's what was used on Star Spangled War stories or something. Maybe so. So she, uh, you know, there's weird stuff on here. Uh, like, talks about her hair color. Uh Hair color, brown. Sometimes dyed red or black. <laughs> what? Just like a dame. Oh, jeez, jeez. So as she was in Star Spangled War stories, a lot of war comics, again, it looks like half of her entry is dedicated to this whole thing where she has uh, a, a young woman named Julia Remark, I guess is how you say it, claims to be Marie's daughter and says Alfred's her father, and then there's no evidence about this, and it's all mysterious, and like clearly that's a storyline that must have been just going on to make it that much of her entry. I feel like she kind of got robbed a little there. Yeah, actually, it was a, they introduced that in Detective Comics number 501, which is like from like 1980, so maybe they, hmm. maybe they brought it back later on, but I remember that where it was introduced. Or maybe it was just, uh, you know, that was maybe by one of the guys that wrote Who's Who, and they just felt like playing that up. Possibly. So, anyway. Nice entry. Mm-hmm. She sh- she should have hung out with the losers. <laughs> then then she'd be on a team. Would you That'd hang out right. with a team called the losers? Um, I feel like I do once a week. Anyway, whoa. Uh, but bum That's gonna get some hate mail right there. All right, <laughs> next up, the Mad Hatter, and they list version one and version two. Version one was Jervis Tetch. Tetch? Tetch? How do you say that? Jervis Tetch. That's what I say, Jervis Tetch. Uh, version 2, unrevealed, but also used the alias Jervis Tetch. Now, here's what messed me up as a kid. 
you look at this drawing, all right, and you know there's a there's a Mad Hatter one, there's a Mad Hatter two. Which one's Mad Hatter one? The one on the right. Exactly. And the guy on the left is, is version two. Yes. Wouldn't you reverse that? Yeah. Well, it's drawn by Bill Sinkavich, and he did what he wanted. <laughs> and he did this masterfully. Yeah, it's a great drawing. I mean, this is really good. I, sometimes Sinkavich, like, I love his stuff. Sometimes it's a little way too far out there for me. Like, some of his new mutants, even though it's absolutely gorgeous from a superhero perspective, it's a little hard to, you know, like, wrap your brain around that being a superhero comic. This one is a perfect balance of superhero comic and his crazy style. It's gorgeous. You get Matt Hatter 2 on the left with his giant handlebar mustache and a, and a chef's hat. On the right, you get your typical Jervis Tetch, you know, the Matt Hatter we all know and love, the one that looks like Alice in Wonderland. You get the Serpent. You get some really great shots of them uh, showing off their best features, which is uh, Matt Hatter 2, it's his mustache. Matt Hatter 1, it's his nose. <laughs> and you see, I love this one shot of Matt Hatter trying to pull off Batman's cowl. <laughs> There's, see, Kevin drew some great Batman faces here. <laughs> There's one where he's angry and the other one where he just looks befuddled. <laughs> well, he's being mentally controlled. Right, so he's got exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, nice entry. And, um, you know, it I'd be interested to see, like, how they made the Golden Age to Silver Age transition here. Because the character's been around since the Golden Age. So it makes you wonder, are there, did one of these Mad Hatters, you know, exist on Earth 2? Yes. I mean, was, you know, do- yes. So, uh, he did. Okay. Interesting. I will, right. I will uh, Encyclopedia Brown, though, spots a mistake, is that both Batmans are have the yellow cowl, like, the yellow bat symbol. And, of course, the Mad Hatter number one never faced Earth Earth 1's Batman, he faced Earth 2's Batman, who never had the yellow symbol. No, 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 no. Yeah. You got all that mixed up. No. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, this is not what happened at all. The Earth, the, the, there's no Earth 1, Earth 2 going on here. What it is, is there's Mad Hatter 1, who did his business and was crazy, you know, was crazy. He was in jail. Another guy showed up claiming to be the new Mad Hatter, had a fascination with hats, and then he went to jail. And the original Mad Hatter got loose and said, I killed the other one, my well, imposter. Well, all right. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's so true. there was no Earth 1 or 2. What I'm trying to say, though, is that Mad Hatter did exist in the Golden Age. Yes, he did. So I'm wondering, and it is the Alice in Wonderland-looking one that we all know that's even around in the, the video games nowadays. Is I'm just wondering, is, is the Golden Age 1 supposed to be an Earth 2, or do they just sort of ignore that and say he's always been an Earth 1 character? There's, there's no mention of Earth 1 or Earth 2 here. I guess they have to ignore it if these two guys are interacting with one another. But at the same time, the Mad Hatter number one, first appearance of Batman number 49, he's facing a, re- you know, but yeah, I guess they are just. So it's sort of like, uh, who's that Wonder Woman midget guy? <laughs> Dr. Psycho. Thank you. It's sort of like Dr. Psycho. It's like, yeah, there's a Golden Age version, but he's identical and we don't want to talk about it. Okay. It's kind of probably the same theory on that. Okay. Anyway, nice entry, interesting character, and still plays a major role in Batman today. Uh, one last thing, art-wise, I love the lack of detail in the costumes. It's oh, all yeah. just outlines. I really like that effect. And then there's like a color hold on the pants and the jacket on each of the characters. A really, really sharp effect. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, this this one's definitely going up on the Tumblr. I mean, it's absolutely cool. Uh, again, uh, all the little stuff in the serpent, and as you just said, the the, the costume design just looks really nice. And they're back-to-back, you know? Yeah, Almost and they... Yeah. yeah, and they obviously use the design of the second Mad Hatter for the TV show because he, he's the spinning image of the actor from the TV show. What now? 
they obviously used. I heard every word. Yeah. I don't know. Was there a Mad Hatter on the Batman show? On the yes, David Wayne played him. The actor David Wayne, uh, and he looks just like Mad Hatter too. The one with the handlebar mustache. Oh, that must be why they introduced this version. Maybe so. I didn't realize. Okay, no. that makes a lot of sense. He was, was my, one of my favorite villains on that show. I think he only appeared once or twice. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, he looks just like David Wayne, who is this guy, the actor who you see. Basically, he looks like this guy on the left-hand side. Which one of the Wayne brothers was he? <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, great logo, too. Yes, Absolutely great logo. Nice. <clears throat> Next up, Magnetic Kid in his pink and black and white costume. Uh, this is Cosmic Boy's brother. And if you don't know your Legion real good, you look at that costume, you're like, that looks exactly like the original Cosmic Boy costume to me. You know, quite possibly it may be, and I just don't know, but like, I don't know. This character's a bit of a mystery to me, why he was necessary. And why he but got a whole page. Well, I just, it, it's Greg, Greg, Greg LaRock and Carl Kiesel. You know, Greg LaRock was well known for doing Legion stuff. Um, I think the foreground image of Magnetic Kid you know, looking proud of himself there is fine, the one in color. The serpent profile shot of his face leaves something to be desired, though. Like the jawline of the lips are just a little off. Okay. Okay. You don't have to agree. Uh, right. so, so this is Cosmic Boy's brother. And there's some really dis- really sad stuff that happens in here. Essentially, there is um, 30th century protection racket that goes on. But it's at a nuclear level. Nuclear level. They fireball neighborhoods with nuclear weapons if you don't pay up. <laughs> That's crazy. And in one of these, what they call fireballing, uh, the the mom died. You know, Cosmic Boy and Magnetic Kid's mom died. And so at this point, the brother, this Magnetic Kid, decided he needed to dedicate his life to helping people. And so he came on uh, and joined the Legion eventually when Cosmic Boy... Okay, here's a lot of the bureaucracy nonsense. I, we talked about last time you couldn't have the same exact power set and be on the Legion. So the Legion could not have Cosmic Boy and Magnetic Kid because their powers were essentially the same. They both couldn't be on the team. So when Cosmic Boy became uh, an advisor to the Legion rather than an active member, then Magnetic Kid could join. The point I'm getting to is though it seems like Magnetic Kid and Cosmic Boy were so similar – Based on reading this, I don't know why the writers felt the need to create another one. I don't know. Yeah. Somebody, Russell, tell me why. All I know is that tunic looks horribly uncomfortable. <laughs> it's those shoulder pieces. Well, just the fact that it looks so stiff that because I mean, there's a lot of detail on the arms and legs, and then there's none on the chest. So it, to me, it looks like he's wandering around in a box. It just looks <laughs> just really uncomfortable. Oh, that's it's funny. like a turtle. You knock him over, and he can't get back up. Oh, poor Pole. That's not fair to Pole. <laughs> I, a magnetic guy with the name Pole. Really? Anyway, um, logo's a little weak. It's pink and purple, and it's vibrating <laughs> or being magnetized. Friends and female legionnaires everywhere. Yikes. All right, next up, Major Disaster, drawn by Gil Kane. Um, other than... <laughs> Major, this is my favorite pose in the whole book. Just he's like, on. "Hey, you, come over here." <laughs> That's what he's doing. Or okay. ladies, I, I was gonna try and be complimentary. I can't. Oh, I love this drawing. Oh no, I oh, love it. Oh, it's got some problems. It's got some problems. Oh, I love it. The face uh, and the primary character is a little messed up. 
His finger pointing? Someone broke his finger before he had to point at the camera. I mean, that's really messed up. And, and the weird sort of like in the middle of doing the white man dance pose, like, hey! It's, um, it's, it's all right. It's weak sauce. The, the forefront is. Background looks nice. Really, really nice. Him in a hat, him fighting Flash and Green Lantern. It's pretty cool. Now, I like here they gave him a subtitle because uh, you know, always know when somebody gets a subtitle because they capitalize it. They call him the Count of Calamities. <laughs> if you don't know Major Disaster, he has a really interesting power. He has the ability to generate disasters. I thought that was strange. Me. Well, yeah, a little bit. The strange thing is that they don't go into any great detail. They don't say, like, he can cause an avalanche or a rock slide or a tornado. It just says he causes disasters. So... <laughs> Could he make the stock market crash? He was the impetus for the new universe, I believe, over at Marvel. Aww. So, it, it, you know, I feel like they could have fleshed out the power of the weapons better. But interesting character, he, he's a criminal who breaks into an apartment. And it turns out it's Pie Face's apartment, right? And he reads Pie Face's journal and finds out all about <laughs> Barry and Hal. Okay, <laughs> Then decides... Therefore, he has to stop being a criminal and become a super criminal. And he gets to build. He gets these scientists to build him all these gadgets simply because he knows Barry Allen is the Flash and Hal Jordan's Green Lantern. What? Huh? Where is that Makes sense from? to me? I don't know what your problem is. Okay. Anyway, um, I think that he really came into his own after this in the Justice League International as a as a ridiculous yeah, villain yeah, yeah. later on in the in Grant Morrison's. Uh, or I don't think it was Grant, actually. I think it was Joe Kelly. But the JLA title, where he actually joined the JLA for a while. He did? Uh, yeah! Oh, Lord. No, it uh, was good! All right. Okay. No, this wasn't during the silly area. This was, this no, was the I good know. area. Uh, yeah, I know. You said Joe Kelly. Oh, so, okay. oh, wait a minute. Did you just say, did he really? Did he really? Yeah. Join the JLA? Yeah. During the Age of Obsidian, the Aquaman-centric crossover? Well, that no, that was after that was that must have been after that. I read the Obsidian Age stories. No, there was well, maybe I got the name of the storyline wrong. Okay. But it was there was a, two storylines going on. There was the storyline with the regular JLA in the past trying to save Aquaman, right? And in the modern day, Nightwing assembled a new team. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Major disaster joined the team, and essentially, what it was was Superman was giving him another chance, basically saying, "I know you can do good." You've got an amazing power set, and they really did some cool, cool stuff with his powers in there. And uh, and he said, "This is your chance." So it was all about him trying to, uh, you know, do the right thing for Superman. It was great. Okay, so I take your word. For anyway, there's nothing to the who's who. But all right, moving on. Next up, the most well-intentioned but never uh, properly delivered character, Mal. Uh, the, name just, Mal- the name just rings out of excitement, doesn't it? Well, that's just it. That's not a superhero name. Uh, he's Malcolm Duncan, and he was a mainstay in the Teen Titans during the, the early Bronze Age. And uh, it, well, first of all, it's, it's a half-page entry drawn by Chuck Patton and Romeo Tengal. The four image is really nice. It's him just in sort of a gray 70s zipper suit, and uh, he's looking badass. He's going to kick some ass. In the background, you see him in his guise as the Guardian. He was the Guardian for a short period of time, the, the modern-day Guardian. And, or, or some people, you know, would call him Black Guardian because, you know, that was the 70s. That's what you do. Then there was him in his hornblower identity where he had a giant horn he blew. 
And then it has his girlfriend slash wife, uh, who was, was not Yellow Jacket. What's, what was her superior uh, name? Bumblebee. Bumblebee. Bumblebee, yes. Yep. Again, very well-intentioned character. He was their effort to introduce a little diversity to the Teen Titans. But they just they couldn't find a niche for him. And, you know, part of me wonders if Marv Wolfman toyed with the idea of making him the new cyborg. Like, when he created the new Teen Titans? Mm-hmm. It would, you know, to reach back and say, well, this guy, Mal, became cyborg. Rather than doing a new character. I wonder if he ever considered that. Hmm. So, I'm glad he didn't, because Victor Stone's a great addition. But it just, you know, I don't know. Mal went through so many identities. I think there's a third identity, by the way, here that's not even listed that I, I can't come up with off the top of my head. But I swear there was another one. Anyways, you know, how old would you say Dick Grayson is at this point? In what? In who's in the DC, DC stories at this time? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's supposed to be like nineteen or twenty. Okay, so Mal is a contemporary of his, right? At this point, Mal is already married and a very successful novelist yeah. <laughs> at, age, at age nineteen. Yeah, really. <laughs> I like how his weight is um, as as a Titan. It's one hundred and seventy nine pounds, but now he's two hundred fifty six. This is a great detail. Do you know where that's from? No. Okay. In New Teen Titans number 50, where Star, where Wonder Girl gets married, uh, okay. Mal and Karen show up at the wedding as guests, and they yeah. remark about how Mal has been at a superhero game for so long he's put on a bunch of weight. <gasps> so that's what no. that is. Yeah, I thought that was a nice detail that they've – that they uh, th- this, had, this one had to have been written by Wolfman. Uh, no. why else, who else would remember that? But that's a nice little detail where – Dick runs into them, and he's like, oh, the superhero in game was, you know, 50 pounds ago, Dick, and he's looking kind of a little beefy. So. Holy moly. Yeah, it's but It's kind of cool that they did that for a character mm-hmm. to show, you know, it happens as we all get older but and lazier. But, wow. Yep. You clearly can't see that in the drawing, though. Well, no, this is him in his salad days. Uh, we should mention it's drawn by Chuck Patton. And Rome- I did. Oh, did you? I'm sorry, but Chuck Patton and Romeo Tango. Chuck Patton did not do nearly enough who's who work. Agreed. You know, it, it should have been like Perez, uh, <laughs> Jose Ordway. Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his well, name. Yeah, praise be his name. Should have been, you know, okay, so it should have been Perez, uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. name. Jerry Ordway, the extraordinary. extraordinary. And and then Chuck Patton. Yep. Oh, no, Paris Collins and Chuck Patton. Those should have been the next two. Yep. You know, that should have been the tier. So Patton should have done a lot more. Yep. Everyone's agreement he should have done the Justice League drawing. No, yep. no argument. Yep. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. All right. Um, then, real quick, other half page is a character named Malagigi. Malagigi. <laughs> uh, it's an adorable drawing. The drawing it's is really, fantastic. It really, really, really is. There's a ton <laughs> of detail in this tiny little space. Well, this is Ernie Cologne in the yeah. days where he was doing, like, Amethyst and just really knew how to pack a page full of really awesome stuff. Cool lighting, I kind of wish... tones. <laughs> it's just it's remarkable. I wish he kind of got a full page. Just yeah, so cool. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I, I, I could, I could never read the entry and just stare at this picture. I mean, you forefront, you've got him. He's, a, he's, he looks like he's probably a character. By the way, he's from Iraq, Son of Thunder. He looks like he's a character who's probably done for fun in Iraq because he's disheveled. You know, he's overweight. He's got a beard. He's do, he's dressed kind of doofy. He's doing something that looks kind of funny. So you get the sense that he's probably the fun-loving, goofy character in, in Arak. I could be wrong. That's it's like a later version of Gandalf or Ben Kenobi. That, you know, that kind of guy. <laughs> sort of, kind of, yeah. Uh, mixed with Dom DeLuise. And because uh, the reason I say this because the entry doesn't give you any sense for his personality. I, I think he, he looks like a fun guy. Well, yeah, anyway. the drawing. I mean, the drawing just tells you everything. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you notice the face in the little cloud of dust he's blowing? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't recognize it as being anything in particular. But no, yeah, it's there just is, cool. It's okay, just yeah, there nice is a little, to, yeah, little demon. Ernie Cologne was really well known for doing these kind of details. Like in the background, you've got these little froggy lizard characters and, and flowers, and just yeah, it's great. So, <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, it is. That, that, that should get an award right there. All right, next up, Mammoth by George Perez. Really nice, well done entry here. This one's a winner. Filling uh, Mam- the space. Yes, exactly. Mammoth is a character from New Teen Titans. Uh, at this point, he was part of the Brotherhood, uh, I'm sorry, the Fearsome Five. And, I mean, they just did such a nice job. There's very little text because they filled the, like Rob just said, they filled the page with this drawing. And he's got this really striking black and uh, gold costume. He's just huge. He is literally Mammoth. And his logo is Mammoth. It's just exceptionally well done. In the, in the, in the surf print, you've got a close-up of his face looking a little dour. And then in the background, you've got him lifting up, uh, you know, patented George Perez boulders, and uh, guys are shooting at him with, looks like, rifles or automatic weapons. Really great piece. Uh, I always felt bad for this kind of guy, because I always felt like his connection to his sister, like, is kind of was always his undoing. It always seemed like his sister was either manipulating him, and I didn't read a lot of this stuff, so I could have this wrong, but that's kind of always the sense I got, was like, he would always get tripped up because of his connection to his sister. So... I mean, it's nice that he's stuck by his sister. I hope my son sticks by my daughter, you know, in their older years. When they become supervillains. When they become supervillains and fight the Teen Titans, exactly, right? I mean, I can't know. wait to see you with your brain in a jar floating above your head there. <laughs> and I'm in love with my gorilla. Um, and uh, they're Australians, so, you know, they talk funny, which is awesome. So, nice. <laughs> now, they, interesting how I didn't realize this character had been around so long. It says here he's been around since New Teen Titans, um... Oh, I misunderstood. It says New Teen Titans number three, original series, or first, first series. series yeah. They don't mean Teen Titans number three from the 60s. No, they no. New Teen Titans. No, the uh, Marvel uh, and George Perez book, yeah. All right, that all makes a lot more sense. Yep. Okay, good. Next up, Man Bat by Neil Adams. Amazing drawing that did not make it in the book, because this one's by Ed Hannigan. Uh, and Ricardo Villagran. Why did Neil Adams... Someone asked this in our comments. Why did Neil Adams not draw any who's it? I... There was a point where he was kind of persona non grata there, and I, I don't... Actually, let me... I, I should say that I think he considered DC persona non grata, not the other way around. I'm sure they would have taken Neil. Uh, so there was that brief period in the early 80s where I think he really wasn't doing anything for DC. Now, he later came back not too long after this, uh, but but I think right around this point he was he was just not doing anything for them. So uh, I, I guess he was busy with continuity at that point. He was doing a lot of yeah he was doing a lot of a lot of continuity stuff. So that might have been it. Well, it's a shame. I mean, Ed Hannigan did a fine job. Don't get me wrong. It's a nice drawing of Manbat. Um, really fills. It's Manbat coming at you. You know, using his flying and screeching like he normally is. And in the background, you get a lot of little serpenty type stuff going on. You see him hanging upside down. You see him with his chemical formulas fighting Batman, his, his family. You know, you get a good picture of what's going on. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's just a missed opportunity yeah. without Neil Adams. Because that's, that's who this character belongs to, really. Yeah. I, well, Frank Robbins also did it very well. But, uh, but, but, but Neil Adams, yeah. And, and, and while I would never suggest that Man Bat deserves two pages, because he doesn't, I think visually it would have been amazing to see this put across two pages and have those wings really spread across. Mm-hmm. You can run the text along the bottom from one page to the next and have the wings go across. I think that would have been a kapow of an image. But, of course, you're not going to give man back two pages. So. Remember that Hawkman picture from a couple issues ago? I want to say it was Cartar Hall, Hawkman. 
yeah. where they had him kind of sideways mm-hmm, and his wings mm-hmm. just really filled the space. That would have worked for mm-hmm. this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I know you're a man bad guy, so, you you, you know, you stand up for him. I He was huge in the 70s. I mean, as huge? far as I can. Yeah, I mean, he did get his own comic briefly. He did, didn't he? Two, yeah. Two issues. Two issues. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Written by Jerry Conway. Well, wasn't everything. Um, so, to, like, my perception from a distance, because not having read Bronze Age at the time, was that he was huge in the 70s and apparently very popular. I don't know if any of that's true or not, but that's how I've always perceived Well, I mean, they, when, when the comics code lightened up and all of a sudden Marvel and DC started jamming monsters and horror content into all their superheroes, Man Bat was part of that wave. You know, it was like, oh, well, let's do a monster version of Batman. The way Marvel had Morbius, the living vampire, and uh, the Ghost Rider, and Man-Thing... This, DC, this was sort of DC's version of getting a little bit of horror sizzle in, into Batman. Okay. Well, it just – I love the logo because it is a nice play on Batman, and the name is a great play on Batman. Um, just to me, he was always a second-rate um, lizard. You know, and Kirk Connors mm. is kind of how I always felt. He was the star of the debut episode of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. 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 And uh, he was in that great Power Records you cover. Uh, yes, he was. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of cool stuff to be done with this character, but it's it, it, it's it's easy to do wrong. Let's put it that way. Am I wrong in saying he's Kirk Connors? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'd say yeah, I'd say there's a lot of similarities there. When, when, now that you point okay. it out, yeah, I'd say that's true. It just it, it's always been like square hits me square in the face. So. Um, Interesting that uh, as you read through here, I mean, he made he made his wife become a man bat as well. I guess wo- woman bat forced her to so that they could mate, and then she got bit by a vampire bat, and so she would you know rage out as a, ma- a female man bat, and he had to stop her. Just some crazy stuff. Went I on can't here. get Tracy to watch a baseball game. Now, ironically enough, Tracy did get bit by a bat. That is so, ironic. <laughs> yeah, true. I'm just saying, you know, maybe you forced her so you took a mate. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. And next up, don't even touch that one, please. Uh, next up is the most boring logo of the book, Manhawks. Um, here, here's an interesting thing about Manhawks. Until I read this entry last night. It's a bird wearing a mask. Until I read this entry last night, I really despise these guys <laughs> because they look idiotic. They look like, like a giant falcon. With a human head. It just looks stupid. And then I read this, and here's the cool thing. Once you read it, it actually says they uh, – let's see if I can find the actual text here. Um, and it doesn't really – okay. When robbing inhabited worlds, the manha- manhawks wear masks over their heads. The masks are designed to resemble the faces of the dominant life form of the planet they are robbing. <laughs> Wow. That's a lot of work. So, well, it just it put these characters in an entirely different context for me where suddenly they're cool. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's all it took was for me to go, oh, that's why. Okay. I love these characters now. Now, they go all the way back to Brave and the Bull number 43. So this is a while back. This drawing is by Murphy Anderson, by the way. And if you can get past the ridiculousness of a hawk with a human face, then you can totally get on board with this artwork. Because you see him in the background fighting Silver Age Hawkman. You see him fighting Adam Strange. Good stuff. Uh, they can shoot blasts out of their eyes. They can also, like, dimensionally displace stuff. How do they put those masks on? Don't ask. Okay. Just, just do. Just don't, right. don't ask. All right. Don't ask, don't tell. And uh, there's, a, there's a weird chunk in here. 
There's a good couple of paragraphs that I'm pretty sure some nutso Bronze Age retconning just for the sake of some one-off story where he talks about the lizard cons or something like that. It just really <laughs> felt like... Lizard con, 94. Right. <laughs> I was there, dude. Gorn! <laughs> but it just it feels a bit forced and unnecessary, so I just kind of like... I wish I could take a broom and just sweep those letters off that page. <laughs> anyway, uh, Huck... Hawkman, Adam Strange, freaking sweet. Now, it talks in here, I didn't, I didn't know this about Silver Age Hawkman, that the Manhawks attacked Thanagar. So uh, Carter Hall led a group of people to go fight them, right? They scare them off. And this apparently inspired other Thanagarians to commit crimes, which apparently had never happened before. And therefore, they had to form the police force. So I didn't realize Carter Hall played an integral role in creating the Thanagarian police force. No, I, yeah, I didn't know that either. Yep, I don't know that I wanted to. But anyway, Murphy Anderson, nice drawing. I'm, I'm all about the Manhawks now. Manhawks rock. That sentence has never been uttered. All right, next up, Manhunter the First. Dan Richards, drawn by Tom Mandrake. Nice drawing. I like this. Uh, it's a good shot of Manhunter. He just wears basically a single, like a, a blue... Uh, you know, kind of unitard with uh, uh, you know briefs and boots and stuff, and a cool blue, blue domino mask, and he's got a hell of a malnourished dog who looks vicious helping him. Um, and in the background, you see him like slugging out some Nazis, and a close up of him in his police uniform. It's nice. I like this, and, and of course, I'm I'm a bit biased. I like Tom Mandrake. This is more of some of Tom Mandrake's more straightforward superhero stuff than more of his experimental stuff later. But it looks nice. It, now, it, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I find this has the saddest final paragraph of any Who's Who listing ever. Thus, in the world which emerged, Manhunter remained where he was and fought crime at least until 1950, when the last of his cases were published. After that, we have no record of his doings. We may assume that Thor, at least, is long dead by now. Thor's the dog. <laughs> Thanks, DC. I think we could have put that together ourselves. You really didn't need to go out of the way. <sighs> Well, you know what they did have to go out of their way is talk about Earth X in the entry. Your favorite. Uh, it's not that I mind Earth. It's just for clarification. I don't mind Earth X, guys. You I don't hate mind it. You hate it with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns. I understand. Nice try to turn my Legion line around on me, but um, it's just that they take so much time going to meticulous details about the travels back and forth between Earth X. It's very unnecessary. <laughs> so, in who's who, that is to be specific. All right, uh, he's a cop during World War II. I love that he's from, quote, a great city. <laughs> and um, here's the deal. There's a lot of Manhunters in the DC Universe, in case you're wondering. And in fact, there were two Manhunters going on the same time in the DC Universe in the 1940s. At least that's what we believed when we read All-Star Squadron as kids. Turns out there wasn't. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you know this? Mm -hmm. You know where I'm going? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Mr. Smarty Pants, I guess you do. Uh, one Manhunter was published by DC. One Manhunter was published by Quality Comics. So when they bought Quality Comics, they kind of had to integrate them together, which Roy Thomas did so beautifully in All-Star Squadron. So that's Manhunter 1. We're moving on. He's a cop. He's a cop who puts on a costume and goes fight crime and brings a malnourished dog along with him. So, All right. Next up is the other Manhunter, Paul Kirk. And they don't actually focus much on his Golden Age adventures here. They focus more on his uh, 1970s adventures where he's martial arts badass guy. Uh, nice, nice, nice drawing by Walt Simonson. Yeah, of course. It's beautiful. You get the foreground image of him in his 
very martial arty costume, very complex martial arty costume. And then in the Serp print, you get some nice images of him without his mask, a beautiful woman, some other folks, uh, some fighting. Batman. You see him. You see Batman. You see him in his Batman with really big horns. Uh, you see him in his Golden Age costume. Basically, what happened was um, Walt Simonson and Archie Goodwin wanted to do a Manhunter series in the 1970s as a backup strip in Detective Comics. So they did this story about this guy who was a big game hunter and how he got caught up with the secret society and martial arts and all this stuff. Well, they hadn't intended to tie him into the Golden Age Manhunter. But as the process went on, they just went ahead and did it. So they said that the Golden Age Manhunter had been cryogenetically frozen and was then taken out by this group called the Council, which is where the story takes place. And I don't really want to spoil much else um, other than to say that, that trade paperback I mentioned, the head of the show from In Stock Trades, order it. It's this. Live it. Love it. And uh, there's a lot of martial arty stuff. Uh, there's a lot of talk about clones. In fact, um, I think I told you in another Fire and Water podcast, right now I'm doing my own personal Villains Month. Yes. And because uh, the, the DC other one's done. So I read Secret Society of Supervillains, Volume 1. Which, by the way, I found out there's totally a volume two already out there that's got all those comics we talked about. So, and I've already been ordered it, and it's already on my way to me. So, anyway, in volume one, it starts off with a clone of this Manhunter is part of the team. Kind of interesting. So, um, and they also tie this into didn't didn't they tie this into the Manhunter Manhunters? Yeah. Yes, they the did. Serious Manhunter organization. That's totally a retcon too. By the way, the Green Lantern foes Manhunters. They they retconned this into that. So. Yeah, you know, there you have it. Amazing art, great comic, uh, and one of your only super uh, superheroes to do the most miraculous thing, which is stay dead. He also gets his own subtitle, which is nice. He stalks the world's most dangerous game. <laughs> I love it. Nice entry. Beautiful art, as, as, as to be expected. Paul Kirk, Manhunter. Next up, more Manhunters. These are the robot Manhunters from the Green Lantern comic, the ones that the Guardians built first, who had a little Green Lantern and had a little Green Lantern gun, and they were the, the precursor to the Green Lantern Corps, and they're robots, and they kind of got a mind of their own, and eventually um, tried to overthrow the Guardians, were exiled. Why they just weren't shut down, I don't know. But anyway, exiled, and then sort of, you know, they originally were there to protect people, but sort of lost their way and then just became essentially bad guys. They lost their purpose, I guess is the way to put it. So rather than protecting people, they sort of like try to take care of the universe in the way they perceived was the right way to go. Uh, a couple things worth mentioning here is that this ties in with Mark Shaw, who was a surprise, an, an, well, another manhunter also, and became the privateer. So I guess they figured they'd already had four Luthers. They didn't need four manhunters. So they... they Put, they relegated him to the privateer. We'll see him in a couple of months under P. The arts, I didn't mention the artist. This art's done by Kevin O'Neill in this one. This is Kevin O'Neill who did our Bizarro entry in Martial Law, right? Yes. Yeah. Very subdued and controlled Kevin O'Neill artwork here. By, looks by Kevin O'Neill's standards, yes. yes. It looks really, really nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of really tiny line work, a lot of uh, shadowing or crosshatching or whatever that is. Overall, it's a beautiful drawing. Really like it. I like how they're frying Batman in the background there. Zap! Uh, it's very cool. So, uh, also worth mentioning that there was another Manhunter by DC that did not get mentioned here, Manhunt, Manhunter 2070. So, uh, yes, another one of their failed one-off concepts. Yep, yep, that one done by uh, Mike Sig 
Dowski, I think, if I remember right. Next up is Mano from The Fatal Five, drawn by Jim Starlin. <laughs> Why do you laugh when Jim Starlin comes up? No, no, I'm not with Jim Starlin. This guy, just the fact that he's got that bubble on, I think he's constantly going, what? What? Because <laughs> he can't hear? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's mean. He comes from an extremely polluted planet, which is really creepy, which is why I guess he wears the helmet. And well, we all have to look forward to, people. Right. And it's kind of cool because his face is always in shadows. So that's kind of cool that, you know, he's there, yet you still can't see him. Really garishly designed costume. Um, bright yellow with a giant hand in the middle. The gist is he's got this disc on his right hand that allows him to disintegrate stuff. And he uses that to great effect. I, personally, I think he looks cool. I love the fishbowl. I love the fact that he can't see his head. And uh, I like that there's not a lot of text here. They got out of the way for the art, you know? It's really well done. I'm surprised Batman is in the background on this one getting zapped. He seems to be all over this issue in, in the <laughs> surprints. <laughs> Hold on. Let's take a look. I think you're right. Yeah? <laughs> he's, uh-huh. No, he's not here. He's Superboy's here, but, you know, eventually uh, Batman he, will show up. He didn't fight the Manhawks. Uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> all right. Next up is, uh, oops, hold on. Uh, here we go. Mantis. And you get a two-spread pic- uh, a two-sided picture. You get Mantis as he looked. <laughs> it's a bit of a midget, it looks like, maybe, the way his proportions this? are. This, it, it's, it's not a good drawing. Okay, let's just be up front. This is Jack Kirby and Greg Theakston. It is not a good drawing. Because, like, if you go back and look at New Gods number two, where Mantis first appeared, Mantis looks like a badass. He looks so cool. He looks like a Fantastic Four villain. Here, he looks like that villain's uh, cousin, who's a bit of a dwarf, <laughs> put on the costume. That's what it looks like. Say I, what you will. Uh, yeah, I feel like this one has totally got to sell some toys. I, I, well, the know. one on the right does, yes. Right, Because right. then on the right, you've got the potentially robotic, we don't really know, Mantis who looks like an insect. They even say in here they don't really know if he's undergone a permanent right. uh, cha- change, temporary phys- uh, transformation, or, or what. It's a costume or what. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, as far as my re- research can tell, this is the first appearance of the new Mantis look outside of Superpowers and the Superpowers comic. Okay. Like he hadn't appeared in any issues with this look yet. So there you go. Um <laughs> He, uh, again, he really looks sad on the left. It's his, a shame. All I do know is his new look allows him to open pop-top cans with ease. That's very true. And blast Big Bear. So. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny that since he's never really appeared, they chose to have him blasting Big Bear. It's like, ah, uh, pick somebody no one cares about. Forever people. <laughs> Batman. <laughs> right. Uh, it's also he's connected with the bug people, like uh, Forager and stuff like that, which I always thought was pretty cool. And it says in here, outside of Darkseid, he is the most powerful person on Apocalypse. Wow. Yeah, that's saying a lot. So he sleeps a lot in his little power cocoon, by the way. <laughs> I just always remember, it's like halfway through every battle, it's like, I must go to my power cocoon. <laughs> right. I'm going to try up. that at work tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Doing it right now. Mara from Orion. Uh, another. Uh, this is a half-page entry drawn by Jan Dursuma. Really nice drawing. Uh, it's it's small. You don't get a lot, but you get her in her jazzercise outfit with her long, beautiful blonde hair. She's a maniac. Then, a maniac on the floor. <laughs> in the background, you see her transforming into a giant white dragon, which she does quite well. And it's really, and you get a nice close-up of her face. Uh, beautiful artwork. Uh, and nice, you know, nod to Orion. Um, it's a great comic, and um, you know, not a lot of say, not a lot of space, and you know. 
I love the art. If we look back, we could see that virtually every single Arion supporting character got a listing. And when I saw that, I thought, well, Arion must have been like a big hit. And But I looked up, and Arion was already canceled by this point. Right, Arion was canceled. So I'm shocked that this much, these many Arian characters got listed. I'm surprised they're still getting. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's what I'm saying. They Arian got one right at the beginning, but yeah. then they just kept going. I'm like, well, wow. Yeah, because yeah, you got Garn Danuth, you got Arian, you got Mara, you got Lady Chiang, you probably got Wind. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. He's in. La- yeah, he's in it later on. Yeah. So yeah. it's a it's a good book, man. It's a good book. <laughs> So next up, Mariah Carey. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Mariah Romanova. So you get a red-haired Russian girl named Romanov. Um, hmm, what's that tell you? So uh, you're supposed to say Black Widow. Yeah, anyway. I know. I think we, I think we all got it. I didn't need. To, okay. You know. Now here's the thing. I showed this picture to my wife. Okay. By the way, it's it's drawn. It's drawn by. Talk her into a Halloween costume, Shag. Is that what's going on? I it, it did start with honey. Would you wear this for me? But um, <laughs> it, it's it's a drawing by Ron Randall. Who uh, anyway? He, he draws stuff, and uh, it's her in the foreground with red hair. She's got this funky eye makeup and a sword, and she is wearing <laughs> some dental floss essentially and knee boots. It's kind of what she's wearing. Uh, yeah, kind of boils down to it. Black. Black dental floss is what she's wearing. This, she's this pretty co- much completely this, nude. This costume is clearly based on the bet of, do you, can you create a costume more ridiculous than Vampirella's? Yes, I can. <laughs> she's, she's a warlord character. Now, here's here's where my issue is with this chick. She is, she's from our world. She, she's in a sword and sorcery world now, sure. So I understand why they wear those kind of costumes. It's a sword and sorcery and that's what you do. But she's from our world. She was a professor at Moscow <laughs> University. So this is clearly a well-educated woman, professor of archaeology. When in you know, Rome. Right. And then she goes to this other world, and she's suddenly willing to wear dental floss as her clothes. Like, I don't think that would happen. I don't think someone from our, a woman from our, a well-educated woman from our world would go there and go, yeah, I'm just going to walk around naked. It's very much. hot in Skitaris. What do you want? It is hot in Skitaris. They're closer to the core of the earth. But anyway, um, the art's fine. It's just the costume. The anatomy is kind of wonky. On her leg, it's really kind of strange. She's got legs? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, next up, Mark Moonrider, folks. Mark Moonrider of the Forever People. <laughs> okay, sorry. We're done. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Great drawing. I really, I really genuinely like the drawing. I love the pose. It's very exciting, a lot of movement. But, boy, yeah. what a boring-ass character. Well, it's just, it's a, it is a great entry. And he did this thing that he did with... Uh, Jack did this with a lot of entries. Where in the background, the serpent images, he gave them sort of panels and panel borders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they look really cool. Like the one of Mark looking so happy in the background is a nice shot. Him running with beautiful dreamers, great. You know, him dodging uh, a giant, it's probably Steppenwolf, I would guess. Uh, probably Steppenwolf's axe. You know, it looks really nice. It's a great, great drawing. Uh, he's got a megaton touch. Which is pretty cool. You've got uh, the but- touch. Uh, uh. <laughs> I heard that in the show and Chuck the other day. Anyway, did, it, did we say it's Jack Kirby and Greg Thiesten? Did we say uh, that? No. Well, I said Jack Kirby. I didn't say Greg Okay. Thiesten. So it's it's great there. And then if you read the entry, um, you get to Infinity Man and you can stop. So, all right. Okay. Next. Next. Um, this one's going to be even shorter. Uh, <laughs> it's Mars by Don Heck from uh, Wonder Woman. Going all the way back to Wonder Woman number one and a lot of Wonder Woman stuff. You've got a, a picture of, imagine this, an omniscient sort of 
universe powerful character who for some reason decides to dress like he's from Earth's history as a gladiator type looking <laughs> character. Hmm. Shai's got a problem with this. Um, all I'm going to say is I read this entry. All right, I'm sorry. I attempted to read this entry three times last night. I fell asleep every time. I tried to read it today. I started to fall asleep again. All I'm going to say is the art's fine. Is this it's the, not great, but it's fine. Is this the only entry that in the history part actually lists a comic book? It does. It does list. Thank you. I, I did. I had a note to mention that it does say Wonder Woman number one specifically like in here it, within the history. Like that's the only time I can think of that. that I thing. can't promise you it's the only one, right. but it is definitely it jumps unusual. out of you as, as yep. pretty pretty rare. Wasting too much time. All right, yeah, okay. All right. Yep. Getting to the meat of it here now, folks. Here is your marquee character, Martian Manhunter. Now, what I'd like each of you to do is to please write in and say, guys. What a missed opportunity. Why on earth did you not have Diablo Frank record something and insert it here using his own madcap insanity covering Marsha Manhunter? Please write in and request that. Because somebody, and I don't mean Rob, thought that wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> and I don't mean either one of us. Anyway. Uh, art by Luke McDonald and Larry Malstead. And it is a very nice drawing. Luke McDonald really did a very nice drawing on these 14 or 15 lines he drew. Um, it came out really good. It's very simplistic. That's why I joke about that. But it looks great. It's a very nice Marshman Hunter. Uh, as you read through the history, there's a whole lot of insanity here about Commander Blanks, which, by the way, is Frank's online handle as well on Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. They talk about the civil war between the green Martians and the white Martians. and Martian Man- I had forgotten Martian Manhunter was a military leader in this. He gets exiled for a number of years, and that's when he gets transported to Earth. Talks about how he's changed his shape some over the years, and how he's looked less and less alien as time goes by. I'd be interested to see what he looked like back in the 1950s. I don't really know what he looked like specifically, if it was that different. And there's a bit in here where it actually says his vision powers have not been fully explored. Sort of implying there's something else going on. And in the Odd Couple Awards part of the show, uh, he lived with Hank Haywood Steele. So I like to think that Marshall Manhart was sort of the Oscar and Steele was the Felix, you know. <laughs> Steele's leaving like, you know, bionic parts laying around, you know, un, you know unorganized. And Marshall Manhart is like stabbing them with his umbrella going like, what? Clean now it's garbage. <laughs> what? Uh, never mind. I was doing a line from The Odd Couple. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I just didn't hear you. That was my no, other Now it's garbage. There we go. Uh, <laughs> so, nice entry. Uh, would have been better covered by somebody else. Next up, Martin Champion from the Atari Force. Woohoo! We haven't seen an Atari Force entry in a little while. It's by James Fry and Ricardo... Villagran. Villagran, thank you. And it's uh, this great shot of Martin Champion in the foreground smoking a pipe. And Martin, at this point, is an older gentleman. He's 53 now. In, in the original Atari Force first five-issue five thing, he was a young man. But by this point, the new Atari Force, which was, of course, the one drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Praise be his name. Uh, Martin was the elder statesman of the group at that point. So you get this great shot again. He's 53 years old. He's smoking a pipe. He's really a Renaissance man. I mean, this guy, is, they even say that. He was an astronaut. He had college degrees in physics. He won three Olympic medals. I mean, this dude totally rocked. He was awesome. So uh, there's there's this craziness where Dark Destroyer, which was their big enemy, was actually in the body of a clone of his. Uh, his son is one of the major members of Atari Force. 
And uh, did I mention the pipe? The pipe rocks, you know? It took a bold comic company to show a guy smoking a pipe. I'm just saying. <laughs> and I did some math, and these adventures took, year, took place in the year 2027. So I'm looking forward to wow. Atari. Wow. <laughs> it's right around the corner. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Atari taking over the scientific community of Earth. If I was going to remake the Who's Who series, and I'm not planning on it, but if I was, I would have all the Atari Force characters drawn in 8-bit graphics now. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> that is brilliant. 8-bit theater right out there. Man. Okay. <laughs> Next up. <laughs> Can I could hear it in your voice. Oh, for the love of God. This, this, these two pages simultaneously explain the appeal of the Marvel family and why people hate the Marvel family. <laughs> <laughs> Never a truer sentence has been uttered. <laughs> if you love the Marvel family, this makes you love them more. And if you hate them, this makes you hate them more. <laughs> makes me hate them so much. There you go. <laughs> At least the... Silver Age Marvel family. You know, the, I'm kind of okay with some of the Bronze Age stuff. I'm perfectly fine with the modern era uh, stuff. Oh, I hate this era of the Marvel family. For realsies. Come on here. All right. Um, this is d- drawn by Kurt Schaffenberger. <sighs> Guys, like, you're probably thinking, what's their problem? There's nothing wrong with Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, and Captain Marvel Jr. You're right. There's nothing wrong with Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, and Captain Marvel Jr. Where you get into a problem is, and I'm not kidding, is you get into literally half of this entry, which is two pages long with a lot of text, is about fat Marvel. Yes, I said fat. Fat. F-A-T. Fat Marvel. Hillbilly Marvel. And tall Marvel. Okay? I am not kidding. And all they are is Billy Batson redrawn to be surprisingly fat with brown hair, surprisingly tall and a little thinner, and with red hair being a hillbilly. It's... Oh, this makes me mad. And then, add insult to injury, you get Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. You don't even get Mr. Tawny Tawny. No, okay. no, Talky Tawny. Get, no, no. Or Talky Tawny, thank you. And then you get Uncle Marvel, which... By some varying degrees, I can get on board with Uncle Dudley. Isn't that, I think this is his name. Yeah. Um, just because he's goofy funny. But the rest of this? It just makes me sick. Hillbilly Marvel keeps wondering why uh, Billy and Mary don't get married. Oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> seriously, these characters have been around for, what, 40 years at this point? Uh, and, yeah. 40, and you're gonna sp- yeah. 46 years. And you're going to spend half of this entry talking about Hillbill Marvel-y, Marvel, Fat Marvel, and Tall Marvel? Really? Now, I do understand that they were the first Marvels outside of Captain Marvel. Yes, it was Captain Marvel, then these retards. And, Whoa! Sorry, that was not nice. I well, apologize. it's a quarter I in the retard jar, as we like to say. Well, I, that was an insult to uh, handicapped people everywhere, to compare them to this, to be quite honest. Uh, you get those three idiots. <laughs> Then after them came CM3 and Mary Marvel. Yeah, I said CM3. I did. There it was. I put it out there. Um, I got nothing else other than bile for these people. Okay. It, it, looking at this, it'll be hard-pressed for anyone to believe that this at one point was the greatest-selling comic book of all time. Now, we're going to get a hell of a lot of anger for everything I just said. And I'm ready for it. And I, I, look, I just said I love Captain Marvel. I always have. And I love the Marvel family. I love the whole concept. It, the 
and I love Kurt Schabenberger. I just don't think this. I, I think that they maybe should have thought about not uh, highlighting hillbilly Marvel and fat Marvel quite so prominently. That's I would all. agree. That's all. Like no. maybe 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 you could have redone the drawing. Like remember how we complimented Steve Lytle last month yeah. about the way in the Legion of Supervillains where he put some characters in the foreground and some in the background. Like it might have been more it might have been more effective to have Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, and Bill and Captain Marvel Junior. Like in the front of the image, and the other ones in the background. You know, but here they're all given equal weight, and it yeah. just looks it looks ridiculous. <laughs> can we can we stop talking about? All right, them? sure. Let's move Thank on you. to another a Marvel we can be more. Now, yeah. here's how you do it right. Yeah. This is Mary Marvel. By Bob Oxner. By Bob, Bob Oxner, yes. And it's done very well. Beautiful. It's a, it's a really nice recap of her life. Um, it, 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 I love a little bit about the, she had the locket, and, and uh, Billy had the other half of the locket. They matched them up and realized they were brother and sister. It was really great. There's, a, there's some fun quotes in here, actually, <laughs> where uh, – She's trying to figure out if she can get the powers of, of uh, Shazam. And he goes, oh, Shazam, realizes he can't say it. He goes, er, you know who wouldn't give his powers to a girl? I mean, that's great. And then later on, uh, he gets kidnapped and his mouth gets gagged. And she goes, wait, Billy can't say Shazam. And she gets the power. That's great. I love that. Really well done. Uh, it, they, they, they presented her without being cornball. And without being too gritty in realism either, I mean, she, it's not Mary Marvel in the black costume from Countdown. I mean, it's Mary Marvel classic, you know, mm-hmm. and she's done really well. Yep. I like also, I didn't know this, her Shazam, the acronym of Shazam, is actually female characters. It's yes, that's right. the grace of Selena, the strength of Hippolyta, the skill of Ariadne, the fleetness of Zephyrus, which apparently is not a guy, uh, the beauty, or is a guy, the beauty of Aurora and the wisdom of Minerva. And then they actually go in to say, the accuracy of this list is doubtful. Zephyrus was a god, not a goddess. And this chart does not account for all of Mary's powers. Wow. Okay, that's a little over the top, guys. But really well done. Uh, I think it's adorable that she kept this book called The Book of Good Deeds. <laughs> it's, it's great. The Ledger. And uh, uh, her fake uncle, Uncle Dudley, found it. And then just decided to pretend he was part of the family, and they all let him. And he pretends to have superpowers, and they all let him. It's insane, <laughs> but it's adorable. It this works well. Yep. This is two and two good drawings in a row uh, by Bob Boxner because he did Lobus Lane last month. Yeah. Yep. So, next up, a really nice drawing, one of my favorite in the book by Rick Leonardi of Master Jailer. Interesting character. On uh, this is Carl Draper. He's actually Don's brother. <laughs> and um, this is kind of – if you know your Superman history, Superman had a prison up in, up in the air, floating in the air. <laughs> because he's, he's a, a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he did. But he had a prison floating up in, up in the sky called Superman Island. And here's why he's a dick. Because it should have been called Draper's Island. But Lana Lang was all like, oh, I like Superman Island better. And so that's where I got the name. Uh, poor Draper here grew up in Smallville with Clark. And, and Superboy, and had a crush on Lana, and tried to impress her, and never worked out. And he even took on this uh, superhero sort of identity at one point. I think I owned that Superboy comic, by the way, when I was a kid, where he appeared as, uh, what is it, Kator? The, the like, robot that somehow he got the power. Yeah, it's confusing. doesn't matter. Superboy. His youthful Kator 2 identity. There it is. Yep. So I, I love his costume. It's so ridiculously silver or bronze, AG. He's got, you know, it's like a dark gray or blue bodysuit, but then he's got, like, uh, a tunic that looks like jail bars. He's pulling another shift at Foot Locker. 
<laughs> he is. He totally is. His belt is where the key goes for the pockets, and he's got keys on his front. He looks, this is going on the Tumblr. He looks so cool. I love it. And Rick Leonardi, right? He didn't draw a lot of DC stuff. He's mostly a Marvel guy. That's my memory as well. Yeah. There's a really nice shot in the background of, of uh, Clark looking sort of shocked. Oh, no, this is Draper. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's him. That's Mr. I Taylor. thought that was Clark. Yeah. No. no, that's Draper. Never mind. Uh, looking sort of worried. And then you get him and his Kator identity. And then you get Master Jailer, like, blasting the schnoz out of Superman. Blah! And then you see Superman Island, which should be called Draper's Island. So. Hey, soups, due process, huh? <laughs> the dude had his own jail. Nice. Just allow Superman to do these things. Poor Draper was called Mousy in Smallville. Poor guy. All right. Uh, last entry of the book, Masters of Disaster by Alan Davis. Uh, these guys are outsiders villains, and quite frankly, they probably don't deserve the mastery and gorgeous <laughs> this Alan Davis drawing. This lipstick on a pig. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double talk a bit because there's some aspects I do like of this team. Like, I like, like, I don't know. I talked a little about this in the last episode. In the 1980s, there were a lot of prefab teams where you had, like, you had an energy guy, you had a strong guy, you had, a, you know, a, somebody from another nationality. You had a, a culturally and powerfully diverse team. You know, it was good diversity. And then there's other teams that are built around a theme. And I kind of love those things. Like, this is the Masters of Disaster. There, oh, you know, you've got a cold guy, a fire guy, a, a water person, an a earthquake person, you know, a wind person. It's all the possible natural disasters. It, it, you know, you just need a mudslide, dude. I think is what you need in here. But um, it looks really cool. And the art is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's so yeah, it's good. Davis. Yeah, it's Alan Davis. Can't beat it. Yeah. I mean, look at New Wave's face, man. That's like, that, that should be on the cover of a 2008 DE comic. That looks so good. <laughs> I love how he strokes hair because what you do is you get the main drawing of them, right? And then you get the little sidebar with all the little faces and kind of a Justice League of America style thing. But in heat stroke, her hair from her little side picture and her flying, her hair is fiery joining together. It looks nice. It's very nice. It's very, very nice. Now, if I remember right, didn't Windfall like become a good guy or something? Yes. Well, I was about to say the Masters of Disaster are responsible for or involved. I shouldn't say responsible. Involved with one of my all-time favorite Batman moments in the Outsiders book. Not Batman and the Outsiders, Outsiders, the, the Baxter book. Uh, I won't give it away because in case anybody reads it or, or they could just probably wait for Siskoid to make fun of it on his blog. But uh, <laughs> it, it, there's a moment that involves Windfall potentially joining the Outsiders that is one of my all-time favorite Batman turns, courtesy of Mike, Mike Barr. So okay. that's, that's all I'll say. Very cool. Well, um, another thing, there's there's very little amount of text, which was, again, in keeping with all outsider characters. So Yeah, there really wasn't much to say about these guys. <laughs> well, that's what everybody says, which isn't fair. I think it was more they wanted to let the art, art showcase. Well, I, they hadn't had that many appearances to this point. Are you kidding? They had the whole Batman and the Outsider series and had moved on to their new Baxter book. Yeah, but they, they weren't in it that much, though. Their own book? No, but... No, Masters of Disaster. They weren't. Oh, oh, oh. Much. But I mean, all the Outsiders right. characters have very little. Text. Well, that's true. That is true. That is true. Yeah. So, anyway, great entry. Then we get to the ad page at the back, and this immediately proves I was wrong with my theory last uh, episode of Fire of Who's Who. I theorized that they didn't list any Baxter series books back here because that you know they because they were only sold in uh, the direct market. Yeah, I'm wrong about that. Because right there is uh, the Teen Titans Baxter series book that was direct market and Outsiders that was direct market. So I take that back. Now, 
did you notice the thing on this page that's incredibly worth noticing and talking about? I'm sure I didn't. Because <laughs> you didn't even read the comic probably before this. I told uh, you. I look at these on scans, and the scans don't come with that inside back cover. You've never told me that. I have told you that many times. You choose not to remember it, but it's true. Are you talking right now? Yes. Okay. Anyway, uh, you get a cool Superman cover, a Titans cover, an Outsiders cover, a great Justice League of America cover, which is issue 250, the return of the original Justice League. Great Green Lantern cover, number 200, and Warlord, number 104. Great. Anyway, what we're talking about here, folks, is, you know, it tells you each character and where you can find him. Like, Luther was killed in Crisis. Luther 2's in Superman. Blah, 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 blah. Madame Xanadu will turn up in, wait for it, Crisis on Captive Earth. Oh, that's well, I remember that. Yes. Yes. Crisis on Captive Earth. Now, I had heard mentions of this here and there and did a little research before the show. And there's not a lot out there about it. But one of the things that apparently did show up was there was an issue of Batman, uh, issue number 394, published in 1986, which did include a, a centerfold survey that you, as a questionnaire, that you could fill out, and you send it in, and you would supposedly receive a free copy of the first issue of the upcoming series called Crisis on Captive Earth. So, um, there's not a lot of definitive answers as to what this is. I mean, maybe there is somewhere embedded in an interview that Google didn't find, but um, there's not a lot of definitive answers. There's a lot of speculation that this was the Legend series, uh, a lot of speculation that this was simply just a series that busted and didn't come to be. Um, don't know. But it was definitely planned to be the follow-up to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, yeah. Wow. I haven't thought about that in a very, very long time. Probably since 1986. Yeah, probably not. All right. We're about to start our listener feedback section, which is now, by the way, officially, and I'm not approving this through Rob at all, the feedback section is officially called Who's Who, How's, and Why's. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Which is the name, what's the name of the letter column? It's officially called Who's Who, How's, and Why's. All right, folks. As always, we got an astonishing amount of feedback from you folks. You guys totally rock. Uh, You are, again, I say it every time, the single best uh, podcast listening community in the cosmos. So thank you so much. Um, We're a little pressed for time, so I'm just going to cherry-pick some stuff out here. Shout out to, thank you, Count Drunkula, uh, which is Ryan Daly, gave us some great stuff. He says, I've never been much of a Legion of Superheroes fan. I've tried to get into them in different eras of their stories, but never been able to hook me. The best run I read was Mark Wade's pre- and then post-Infinite Crisis series, which became Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes. That was an enjoyable read, of course. Uh, that was an enjoyable read. Of course, Mark Wade could get me to read a book starring Jericho. Okay. No, he <laughs> No one could. <laughs> uh, heard from our buddy Martin Gray who said, uh, you're talking about that Lois Lane two-issue two thing? He said, I love Mindy Newell and Gray Morrow's micro-series for its realistic feeling uh, take on the character Lois. It was like Lou Grant Daily Planet. Yes, it was. But poor, but poor, poor Lena. Oh, and what the heck's wrong with Clucklore? Of course Lois, Lo, he calls her Lo. Of course Lo would learn it. In Candor, perhaps when she was visiting her lookalike Sylvia, who was, of course, married to Superman's lookalike Van Z. In return, <laughs> she could teach her volunteer nurse skills or journalism or stalking. <laughs> and there's really nothing wrong with Looker Apart from her origin, personality, and costume <laughs> I like that, that was funny Alright uh, Heard from our buddy Aaron Bias uh, You know, we've, there's been a lot of talk about the boob window uh, Both Power Girl and um, What's her name? Jade 
have the boob window in their shirts. And he says, uh, Earth 2 and boob windows, his wife, his wife Amy has a theory, maybe Earth 2 is a trailer park. <laughs> Love it so much. <laughs> Her former buddy Siskoid, who uh, talks about, uh, on the cover, one of the connections we missed was Lady Quark and Lady Lunar are fighting, and Lady Lunar is being helped by the Sun Emperor. So it's both the moon and the sun. Very Did nice. not pick up on that. Uh, uh, he mentioned, I wanted to mention, he talks about the Sensor Girl and the Legion of Superheroes entry. He says, Sensor Girl is obviously creating an illusory projector to protect her secret identity. The thing about the powers is not, quote, no one can have the same power, but rather that each member must have a power unique to them. Superboy and Supergirl don't count, so you can have Monel and Ultra Boy. <laughs> Just let me vision. And Ultra Boy's Penetravision. Wow can see through lead, unlike X-ray vision, so he's fine. Let's just say <laughs> let's just say they fudged their constitutional rules so they could get powerful members in, but didn't make the same concessions for everyone. Rob, and then parentheses, Rob, in exclamation marks, was advocating for three pages for the Legion. Three pages for the Legion! Shag, don't discourage him from showing Legion love. One place that could have saved room for more historical text is cutting powers and weapons. Teams don't need them, especially when everyone has their own entry. I agree about cutting powers and weapons. I still don't agree they should have three pages. Okay. Because if they get three pages, the Justice League sure as hell should have got three pages. I'm not, I'm <laughs> not going to argue that with you. Uh, Legion of Superheroes headquarters. I uh, talked about how the map had previously appeared in the main Legion book, which is what we suspected that it had, had, had appeared elsewhere. Uh, here's a little something funny. Legion of Superpats. What is the worst pet-related crime in the DCU? How about Prody? A sentient being, consi- being considered as a pet. That'd get my vote. Uh, may I just say, not only am I happy this got an entry, but it also makes me sad Crypto's Dog Star Patrol didn't get an entry and indeed got snubbed under his group affiliation in his own entry. That's just the kind of DC Comics fan I am. <laughs> Lightning Lass, as I said before, she's my pick for the hottest Legionnaire, and I owe it to the early Baxter series when she regained her lightning powers. But was doing quite well as a martial artist with her gravity-lowering powers. Uh, June Brigham makes her look like what... Uh, Julie Power, Lightspeed from Power Pack, would have grown up to look like. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So, uh, 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 in referring to uh, JLA, my comments about JLA 217 and 218 being really good, those little fill-in issues, he wrote, so agree, those were great JLA one-shots. Also, my first two, as recently chronicled in my video series, copyright off of Frank's test sheet. And the Paragon story was like my third. Loved it, Rob. We're on the same page here. Let that just swill around in your mouth for a minute, everybody. Just so, if you didn't really pick up on what he's saying there, both Siskoid and Diablo Frank have their own YouTube channels. That's <laughs> great. Just let that sit in, soak in for a minute. That's and yet terrifying. Frank is too busy to appear on the show today. How YouTube hasn't collapsed in on itself is just terrifying to me. All right. Uh, he comments on Looker. Everything that's wrong with the Outsiders in a single character, and then some. Uh, he joined in on my sort of discussion about Wonder Woman, how her first appearance being in All-Star Comics number 8 rather than Sensational Comics number 1 doesn't make sense, but it happened. So, just it doesn't make any sense. And then he's done several uh, on his site, Siskoid's Blog of Geekery, which you can find at siskoid.blogspot.ca. He's done a bunch of great entries called Who's, and then he names a character. He picks a character, basically, that appeared in a Who's Who issue, sort of a companion piece to this show, and he's carried who's, he, he, from last issue, he did Who's Lord Schilling, Who's Lord Lunar, uh, Lady Lunar, um, 
sort of losing my place. He put he embedded some other ones in here. Uh, who's Lady Lunar? Oh, I already said that. Okay. Anyway, he's done a few of them. He's actually already working ahead and working on this issue right now. So you should check it out. Uh, go ahead. We got a comment from Kyle Benning. Uh, he agrees with me that Lois Lane should have gotten that whole cover spotlight to herself. Uh, he also... <laughs> He, he, this is the thing that makes me want to punch him, though. He says, when you guys finish up the Who's Who podcast in 2030, do you guys have any plans to cover the 1992 DC Cosmic Cards? They'd make a fun episode, especially since characters like Superman got a gold and silver and modern age card, giving it a leg up on Who's Who, which screwed her through Superman out of an entry. Each little card is some great info, art by a number of longtime DC artists, and a nice little trivia question. I can see that making a fun episode. If you need a fill-in guest host for that episode, when you finally get to it 17 years from now, let me know. It's like all anybody's interested in is extending this Who's Who series long into our dotage. I mean, guys, come on. They're like, hey, why don't you cover this? Why don't you cover this? Guys, we can't. Please, just cut us a break. <laughs> I have a plan. Yes. I don't want to say it on the air because I'm afraid someone will steal it and do it before then. Oh, okay. so, right. <laughs> I'll tell you later. All right. Uh, he, I, asked, I asked in the episode uh, for recommendations for Legion issues to read. So, guys, give me some suggestions for some Bronze Age stuff. He came back with issues 284 through 300, annual number three. Well, you know, I'll just say he named a number of stuff, which include the great, the great Dark Knight saga and stuff like that. Guys, I want you to know I had a birthday recently, got some cash, and it went straight to in-stock trades. It was a fair trade. <laughs> and, and I am sitting here in my hands holding what's got to be, God, I don't know, 10 pounds of Legion trade paper packs. <laughs> These six suckers are heavy because there's some uh, hardcovers in here. Oh, they have Bouncing Boy in them? Oh, uh, wah, wah, wah. Uh, I am holding in my hand, reprinting a combined total of 46 comic books <laughs> of Legion stuff, starting with the Great Darkness Saga. Then going in, finishing out that Legion series, uh, which is the curse. So it's 284 to 313, plus three annuals. And then two soft cover trade paperbacks covering the first 13 issues of the Baxter series. So I've got them. They're in my hands. And i got to get through Villains Month, which means reading Secret Society Supervillains Volume 1, which I've done. Secret Society Supervillains Volume 2, which is on its way. And Marvel Supervillain Team-Up. Once I finish those, Legion is my next project, guys. There it is. It's happening. This is real. It's all because of you guys. You better not suck. <laughs> um, Shag's pronunciation, this is still Kyle Benning. Shag's pronunciation may hit an all-time low. Um, well, it says I pronounced the word Metron when he says it should be Metron. Um, so, you know, it, there's a lot of, we need an official judge here, and it does appear through most people say it should it's be Metron. Metron. Yeah. So, Sorry. Shocking. Shag said something wrong. Oh, my gosh. So, anyway, he gives a shout-out to Roy Thomas's uh, Tomorrow's All-Store Companions. You can get those. Uh, you can actually find those out on Random Talk Trades, actually. They're very, very, very good. So, heard from Yellow Dot Award-winning Diablo Frank. Humble, isn't he? Uh, he says he had a spat over on Twitter uh, with his firm belief that Oh, Hotmu, which is the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, was better than Who's Who. No. However, however, no. However, DC proved superior in the art department thanks to his nonconformity, with the yes. surprints offering a better sense of the characters than the clip art. Also, I love the variety of logos, which have often come in handy when I repurpose for my projects. And he goes on later, talks about the Book of the Dead, and, he, and I think he's kind of recanting, recanting his thing, and I think he's saying uh, Who's Who's better. So. <laughs> 
He agrees with you. Superman was a creepy weirdo. Not for, not the least for being the dick move of exiling his dog into outer I'm space. I'm glad everyone was on board with that one. I was really felt. I felt very strongly about that. And so, uh, I don't know. I don't know if Shag's ever mentioned uh, Shag. If Frank's ever mentioned if he has dogs. Like Mike Bailey was totally on board with me on that. But Mike has dogs, so I understand that. I don't know if Frank is allowed to have pets in the hospital that he resides in. So I don't know. But uh. Is he in a room next to Jack Dower? <laughs> you, you realize you've you've clinically diagnosed a number of our listeners. I feel I'm qualified. Just, uh, not surprisingly, Frank's favorite kryptonite is red kryptonite for its unpredictability. Uh, I like this bit here. I hate the Silver Age above all other eras. <laughs> the Golden Age was a wonderfully primal and diverse, while the Bronze Age birthed full characterization and expanded storylines. Most of the modern classics came from the dawn of the Iron Chromium Age, which was a gas by virtue of sheer chaos. The Silver Age was a bloodless, juvenile hash of two-dimensional characters with one-dimensional morality and predictable formulaic gimmick plots. The superhero universe and its dominance over all comics began here, black. You know what? The man actually makes a lot of sense there. I have to say. Uh, He picks on me for slagging on Bronze Age Wonder Woman. (laughs) Sorry, dude. Just calling it like I see it. Let's see. Oh, uh, those comments about the super pets. I like the super pets. They should have pulled a heel turn and subjugated humanity. I want to see <laughs> Superman punch a super horse. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. I like here. He talks about some stuff here. I always wanted to read the Legion as a kid, but didn't have a good jumping on point until Zero Hour. That inspired me to work backwards to the 70s, but I didn't embrace the Bronze Age stuff. I was per- perfectly happy with the Baxter series. By extension, I very much enjoyed the underrated work of Greg LaRock, who offered a shiny, happy future of beautiful people. Shag's right about the Legion versus the JSA. Rob. As I added, Rob, as Dr. Fate and Inspector were so often absent in, in, in their inconsistent abilities, the Legion consistently featured multiple Superman-class heroes in monthly adventures, plus DC's most powerful telepath, most intelligent hero, most accomplished martial artist, and element lad. They had two of whatever any other team had, and one of those two was probably comics, was probably comics avatar of their power set. Take that. Okay. All right. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I feel like Lightning Lad was supposed to be the Luke Skywalker of the Legion without the transformor- transformative journey into becoming a Jedi Knight. I also felt like his and Saturn Girl's story, him and Saturn Girl's story, was told by the early 80s as Levitz let them go off to be domestic, domestic, domesticity while focusing on other characters. Post Zero Hour, the writers rushed through all of Lightning Lad's traumas, which made him a hot mess. I'm on Team Cause. Just for you, that means um, Cosmic Boy. So. All right, I heard from Ange, who said this is one of his favorite issues because of the Legion stuff. And he gives a bit of his origin here. Let's see. Um, Or maybe he doesn't. Hmm. Hmm. I'm making a mistake. All right. Anyway, he loved the Greg Lark picture of the Legion of Superheroes. He said he had a nice run in the title despite following Giffen and Lytle. Uh, I really like the comprehensive nature of the page, including the honored dead. Yes, the smiles seem wooden. This was something I admit said. But I imagine it's like that elementary school class photo. Everyone's smile looks a little weird here. Well, I love the picture that history is so woefully short for a team whose fandom prides itself on knowing the history down to the most minute detail. I feel a bit cheated. And uh, he says, Lightning Last gets his vote for the hottest legionnaire. And he hopes I remember this when we get to the Phantom Girl Who's Who page. Again, guys, I, I'm telling you. Um, I'm not saying it's Phantom Girl's Who's Who entry, which I still haven't snuck a peek at, just to be shocked. Uh, I'm just saying Phantom Girl's the hottest in general. But I tell you, I was kind of um, interested by Lightning Last in that picture. She looked pretty good. 
So, and, another, and then he's oh, – go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. No, no, no. You go. Trust me. I'm, I'm leading into something else. Okay. He sent us this crazy thing about Hyathis. Hyathis is a character we covered a couple issues ago, and he gave us a bunch of feedback, and he really clearly cares about this. So out of respect – no, never mind. Forget it. <laughs> Dude, no one likes Hyathis. Well, you know, I see now that I'm going to take issue with that. Because there was something else that happened on Twitter, which I don't think you caught because they didn't use the hashtag. But oh. uh, Alex Segura, who works in DC Comics Publicity, he Uh-oh. wrote on Twitter, he wrote, Am I going nuts? Or was there a JL villain named Hyacinth? Hyacinth? And then huh. uh, uh, somebody named Matt Centauri Griffith, who is on Twitter. At yeah, Photo, photo at Cub. He's one of our listeners. Photo Cub, right. He writes, Hyathis, I think. Purple hair, too much tanning bed, orange skin. Alex, <laughs> Alex goes, yep. And then uh, the Shrine, uh, courtesy Joe Slab, uh, sent him a picture of the Who's Who cover with Hi- uh, with uh, Hi- Hyathis on it. And uh, Alex wrote back, wow, nice, thank you. And then Matt Santori plugged our show to Alex Segura. Oh, wow. It was very nice of him to do. And he gave us very complimentary things and said to talk about the awesome podcast devoted to Who's Who. So thanks very much, Matt and Joe, for setting Alex straight and plugging the show to him. We appreciate it. Now that DC's aware of us, this will probably be our last episode before we get shut down. Yeah, they got uh, better things to worry about. <laughs> Ange also gave us a very nice shout-out over on his blog, Supergirl Comic Book Commentary. You can find that at comicbookcommentary.blogspot.com. Thank you for that. Uh, Anthony Terso, the do- uh, a.k.a. The Toy Room, he, uh, he wrote, in terms of League of Assassins, is there any reason why you're aware of us to why there isn't any Neil Adams artwork in Who's Who? He could have been a natural for this page. Yeah, like as we talked about, I think it was just he was in a bad place with DC at the moment. Neil is a bit prickly at times. Uh, but you're right. He would have been the perfect guy to do the League of Assassins since he drew those characters in Dead Man. So uh, there's a couple of missed opportunities. In, in regards to the Legion HQ, yes, that is indeed the logo from the 70s reprint series. I think Rob is a bigger fan of the Legion than he lets on. That's not actually true. <laughs> and uh, I'm just good with logos. And then in terms of Lois Lane, I would have liked the Silver Age Lois page by Kurt Jaffenberger featuring her trying to cut Clark's hair with scissors. That awesome. Was, that would have been great. Awesome. Have Love that. that. Um, now, he gave his origin here. Legion of Superheroes, big fan of Legion. This is where I got my cell phone mixed up. Uh, Anthony gave us his origin. So I'm going to read this real quick because, you know, I love an origin story of our listeners. Uh, he says, I first discovered the Legion of Superheroes, Superheroes in a black and white reprint paperback issued by Tempo Books in 1977. Others, others in the series were sold at a book fair at school where Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Just League of America, and World's Finest. I went home with uh, Legion of Superheroes and JLA. That's pretty awesome. I was instantly intrigued as the cover, which reprinted a Neil Adams and Dick Giordano art from the 1976 calendar. Uh, who were all these other characters that weren't featured in this book? Where could I read about more of them? Eventually, this led me to Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes ongoing, starting with issue 244 in 1978. Smack dab in the middle of their war with Dark Circle and Mordrew, Lightning Lad, Timberwolf, Karate Kid, Wildfire, and Saturn Girl instantly became my favorites, or remain so to this day. Ah, yes, Saturn Girl, a pre-adolescent fifth-grade boy's, <laughs> boy's dream girl. No, not Nora now. From the 30th century. I think it was the hot pink bikini and the fair faucet hairdo that made me instantly proclaim her as the hottest legionnaire. A title she still holds to this day. <laughs> but, I dig- but I digress. Like Shag would do later on, I sat out as much as I could about uh, could back in those pre-comic book shop days. Memorizing real names, powers, and planets and origins. And although I found the Silver Age tales intriguing, it was the Cockrum and Grell area that really spoke to me, and it became my legion. Eventually, the legion fell to the wayside after a while, but as it was much cooler to be seen reading Marvel comics than it was DC. 
although still reading comics in public wasn't cool. I was reunited with the Legion in a full-time basis, just as Pat Brodrick was passing the torch to Keith Giffen. I stayed all the way through Zero Hour, rebooting everything. I would bounce in, 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 uh, in here and there and check out various restarts and reboots from time to time, but with each creative change, I felt like I was getting further and further away from my childhood friends. For a for- short time, it seemed like Jeff Johns was going to bring him back in uh, the one true Legion, my Legion, through his works in the Lightning Saga. Superman's Secret Origin and Legion of Three Worlds, but alas, the New 52 shattered those dreams. But even though that Legion is apparently dead now, I still have a multitude of back issues to enjoy. Long live the Legion. Woohoo! Alright. Uh, we got a comment from Jeff R., who is sticking up for the Kryptonite Man. Uh, <laughs> yet another green-skinned green Superman villain who is apparently we're being, uh, was being disrespected. So, everybody's got a champion. So, <laughs> thanks for that, Jeff. Uh, Luke Giaconetti uh, sent us a letter where he said, I have to laugh that the jerky letter from the last issue, jerky letter writer M, is from Spartanburg, right up the road from me here in South Carolina. Nice. Go find him. Regarding the Legion, all I can say is a quote from Geoforce back during the Lightning Saga. He said, Superman, that's not only ridiculous, it's also insane. Or if you prefer, I'll mention the Legion of Superheroes from Jim Valentino. I'm sorry, Legion of Superfluous Heroes from Jim Valentino's Normal Man, who began doing the roll call in the first issue and never actually That was a finished. funny bit. I do remember that. I really did enjoy that. Um, he also wrote... I like, oh. I, I like, I, I'm going to let you get to it, I promise. But like Martin Gray came back and said, Geoforce made fun of someone else? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, anyway, Luke just added, with back in 2003, when my wife and I got our first kitten together, who sadly passed away about a month ago, I wanted to name her Streaky, since she was very prone to sprinting from one end of the house to the other, and she was a huge fraidy cat. My wife hit me with the shutdown corner on this, and she was <laughs> named Callie, being a Caligo. But in my mind, I always thought of her as Streaky the Super Cat. That's a great story. I've always wanted to, I've told Tracy, I someday want to have a, two dogs, one named Crypto and one named Ace, but we haven't been able to quite put that together just yet. All right. Uh, we got a comment from, of course, Little Russell Burbage from Manchester, Alabama. Uh, <laughs> serious Legion of Substitute Heroes equals good. Humorous Legion of Substitute Heroes equals bad. I'm not sure I agree with you on that one, but but okay. He's our, He's one of our resident Legion guys. He knows what he's talking I guess about. So yeah. Uh, he won't. I won't argue the validity of characters like Lord Satanus and Lord Schilling getting full page entries when characters like Jimmy Olsen and Lana Lang didn't. But on the other hand, I liked how these entries showcased the rich and variant history that DC could claim. I never tracked down any Tomahawk, Tomahawk stories, but Lord Schilling still sounded kind of cool. I'm okay with Lord Schilling for the most part. I am not okay with Lord Satanus. That entry was wretched. Wretched. <laughs> it was based on like six comics, and it was like everything that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I do like what he says. Uh, interesting. He took a different position from everybody else on Lightning Last. He says, I'm sorry, but am I the only one who thinks Lightning Last is drawn badly proportioned? I think this is one of the worst drawings in the issue. Oh, awesome. Um, what the heck is she actually doing here? Leaning over and what? She looks way better on the covers drawn by Perez. Sorry. Russell, that's, uh, folks, you can find him in Manchester, Alabama. That's where you can send that hate mail. <laughs> Poor June Brigman's crying right now. Uh, we got an email from Sean Corey talking about one of the Captain Carrot characters that only he cares about, so there you go. Aww. Mike Bale. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. No, I'm not. Okay, uh, I- can I read the Mike Bailey thing here? I really got to read this. Okay. It's for you, but I have a point to it. All right. Okay. It says, I will never look at crypto the same again. As someone that is a dog owner as well, I have to agree that Superman is a terrible <laughs> owner for not keeping crypto around. What an asshole. <laughs> gonna... These are Michael Bailey's words, ladies and gentlemen. The, the Superman apologist <laughs> just called Superman 
an asshole. You no, know, you don't want to cross pet people. You really don't. They take it very this, seriously. This is a day. Mark this day in your calendars, folks. Something something has happened. Now, conversely here, he talks about a little bit my plugging of whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. He basically says it's. he thinks uh, it's it's not a great story because it's it, unnaturally dark, uh, nasty way to close out the series. And I can't argue with Mike on that. But I still just find it like, t- t- to me, just being able to write a Superman story where characters can actually die is so compelling that I can get past the the other stuff that he mentions. So I, I kind of know, I know what you're saying, Mike. I but I still love that story. Well, story. he's also saying it's very easy to, to do an end story because right, right. you can make big changes. Right. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Right. But but nevertheless, it's still very compelling. I mean, the, the fact that something's easy doesn't make it any of any less quality. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. You know, he he makes a couple comments about Liberty Bell here as well. I just want to – we've been skipping around so much. It is fair to say there have been a whole bunch of compliments towards Liberty Bell throughout this thing. I I don't think I've read a single nasty one yet. Um, So I apologize we're not reading them aloud, but it's just nice to note that I think – you know, if I'm reading between the lines, I think everyone had a crush on her, not just me. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got an email from Mike Gillis. He takes us to task for no love for the Super Pets. I mean, what six-year-old didn't want to tuck a cape into their dog's collar and run off with their pooch to save the world? As my podcast co-host Paul Rue says, if you can't appreciate the idea of a super-powered dog in a cape, then you have no joy in your heart. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about that, Paul. <laughs> um, two quick things about Michael Bailey, just going back for a second. Uh, apparently, he, he has confirmed for us that Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, right, praise be his think? name, is now aware. Yes, he is. And- of his moniker and is humbled by it. Yes, he drew, he put it on a sketch that he did. Yes, he did. And then uh, lastly, uh, Fortress of Bailey-Tude, uh, just want to give a thank you to Mike. He, he did a New Gods Who's Who Week, where he published a bunch of New Gods Who's Who entries, and he gave lots and lots of shout-outs to the show. Much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, we got an email from Earth to Chris, Chris Franklin. Uh, he also sort of realizes that uh, maybe the man, uh, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, isn't quite as good as this legend would suggest. I don't know, guys. Um, he mentions Legion subs. Batman got one page. These bozos got two. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also uh, compliments Liberty Bell. Again, Liberty Bell. Um, Legion of Supervillains. Dang, Lytle is good. He should have been a bigger star. DC should have tapped him for some licensing subbing when JLGL PBHN was visiting. <laughs> that, that's very true. Yeah, and then he ends it with, uh, was the sting uh, from the episode from the It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman musical TV special that sounded uh, that sounded like a very spacey Leslie Ann Warren as Lois Lane. I've never seen it, but I hear it's worse than ten viewings of the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> um, yes, that, that is in fact what it was from. The, uh, the from the the in the sixties they did a Broadway play. It's a pl- It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, which was a musical, which they then made into a one off. TV special in the 70s with Leslie Ann Warren as the most coked up Lois Lane you'll ever see. And uh, Loretta Swit, my uh, my sort of alternate universe girlfriend, Loretta Swit, uh, <laughs> appearing as uh, a character that does not appear in the comics. And then some other Phoebe guy as Superman. But, uh, but yeah, that's exactly what the clip is from. So oh good, good ear, Chris. And it is not worse than the Star, Star Wars holiday special. It is I was not. Say, I, I've seen. I actually own a copy of the Star Wars Holiday Special. It is the worst thing ever put. I would to watch the super. I would watch It's a Bird, It's a Plane, and Superman five times before I'd watch Star Star Wars Holiday Special two times. It, it's it's impossible to sit the whole way through it. Yeah, it is. It's, it's interminable. Yes, interminable. 
Okay. Uh, we got an email from Boston Moss. I don't. I, that, that's your real name, man. That's a cool name. That's like a Batman villain name. I love that. Boston <laughs> Moss. Uh, I just listened to Who's Who cast for number thirteen. If you guys are going to rag on some characters you're not fans of, why not touch base with some of the fans before you rip them apart? I like the Legion a lot, maybe more than Aquaman. The Legion of Substitute Podcasters is a Legion podcast, and how I heard about you guys, by the way. If you have a question about which Legion stories to read, reach out to them. Okay, I definitely wanted to mention this specifically. Uh, and I appreciate Boston for bringing up the comment. Uh, I, I don't think it's entirely fair to say that we ripped anybody apart. I mean, I think that's probably a little extreme. But you should know, anybody listening to this, and I'm going to speak for Shag because I'm going to be I'm pretty confident that him and I are on the same page here. We love every single page of this series. Every sing- even the ones that are not good, we love it. I mean, that is why we are devoting this much of our time to this series. So if we make fun of something or we're you know we really slag on a character, it is it is really done with you know affection and love, sort of. I mean, I I once read that like you cannot do proper satire on anything unless you really love it. You you know you because you have to appreciate all of it for its faults and, and its good qualities before you can make fun of something, and we love who's who. We just love it to death, love it unreservedly. So there isn't anything here that we're like genuinely upset about and want to rip apart. And in terms of doing research, that's just way too much effort. So no, that's not the case. I mean, if you really listen to it, I I have a pretty good working knowledge of Legion. Rob is is new to the material. And I feel like we did an okay job covering. I think we covered the major points. I mean, I guess I'm being a little defensive on it. Uh, now, to be fair, he does go on and give us a lot of, you know, says a lot of nice things about the show uh, after that. But um, so, I mean, I, I was it a Legion-centric podcast? No, it was a Who's Who podcast we did, and I think we covered it okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, said there's there is no malice in in any of this at all. Really, there really is, and we just love this series to death. But. I also appreciate his opinion. I appreciate that he came out and said something, you know, different than, you know, Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm happy to be able to bring it up because just in case anybody is new to the show and they hear us making fun of something, it's really because it's like we just love it to death. So really that's what it is. Except for Silver Age Marvel family. Yeah, except for Hillbilly Marvel. The him we genuinely <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> want to deliverance him. There's no doubt about that. Uh, anyway, Jack Dower, Ahoy Fleet Commanders. I hope you feel better. Shag. Hey, hey we're actually not sick for either one of these things. Um, he wrote, uh, here's my question, Skipper Shag. Would you put Lord Schilling in the new All-Star Western title? Absolutely. Yeah, why not? Do you think he is an ancestor of Harvey Dent? I hope not. No, but that's uh, the kind of crap they do in the yeah, too. Yeah, I hate that stuff. Commander Kelly, if DC came to you and asked to do a revamp of the Legion, would you actually read and enjoy and how would you do it? I wouldn't do it, so therefore, you know. I, again, I don't have any problem with the Legion. It just doesn't grab me. And when you have limited amount of time to enjoy something, you know, it's, stuff's going to fall by the wayside. It's kind of like that new S.H.I.E.L.D. show that, that's on ABC. Um, I have very limited time to watch TV shows, and if I'm going to watch something, it's not going to be something that I'm kind of eh on because they just don't have time anymore. When I was younger and I had, you know, hours and hours to consume lots of television, I would watch stuff that I was kind of mediocre on. But now stuff has to be really great. Otherwise, I'm just not going to bother with it. So I have no problem with the Legion. I understand why it was hugely popular. It just never grabs me. And no matter how many times I read it, it doesn't – it just doesn't take hold. So I'm I got 46 comics over here that might change your mind. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> Got a comment from Gene Hendricks. One thing I didn't like about this issue is that it's post-crisis, but all the entries are pre-crisis. But I'm a total nut job to so take these comments with a grain of salt. That's true. That is absolutely true. Gene is a total nut job. 
Uh, <laughs> Hector Negrete and Kiji Baker mentioned this is yeah. this is something of mine. They they published a they, they published a post of a pop font pop font funk blah. It's hard to say pop funk shirt. And on it was a, a composite Superman. So I just I just wanted to acknowledge you know, Hector Negrete and Kichi Baker for being on that composite Superman crazy train. Thanks, guys. Okay. We got an email from Greg Ashley, who is apparently Russell's friend that enjoys Kid Eternity. I don't believe it. I've never seen the two of them in the same room together. So, you know. Air, quote, air quotes on friend. It's totally it. She lives, she lives in Canada. Uh, we got we got an email from Carlos Rodriguez. Funny you mentioned this as I'm listening to your talking to you, Shag, use episode where you and Jack talk about who's who. I love and have both the classic and binder versions. It looks like I'll be adding the who's who podcast to my listening agenda. Thank you, Carlos. Uh, Thank you. Oscar Olaid, quote, puts on Enbedovel, Fenegarian Calgon, take me away. <laughs> uh, we heard from uh, Tsuji Tunes over on Tumblr. She uh, been one of our big supporters over on Tumblr. We appreciate that. Uh, also, I really dig Killer Frost, namely from her animated versions on the Justice League Unlimited and Batman: The Brave and the Bold. Somebody's to me, she's such up. an what's that? Somebody sucking up. What? No. And to me, she's such an <laughs> interesting character in terms of backstory and design. Wait, so if someone said something cool about Aquaman, you'd say sucking up? Uh, no, I wouldn't, but, yeah, Oh, so, yeah, it's shoes, oh, because it's shoes on the other foot. I see how that yeah, works. Yep, yep. Uh, we got also emails from John Heaton talking about, uh, Knights of the Galaxy, Tom Paneris, who, uh, started collecting comics in 1990, still have my loose-leaf who's who's, even tracked down both binders on eBay for a fair price. What would that be, a dollar? I mean, what is it? The, the... Those things are pricey, I bet. Really? The binders? Well, okay, all right. They were pricey when they came out. I remember that. All right, but, I mean, okay. Uh, we also got emails from – got to wrap this up, fellas. We apologize, but we've got to get going. So let's – we've got comments from Jason Jones, presumably not the guy from The Daily Show. If it is, that's awesome. Uh, Carlos Mucha, J. David Weeder, Professor Alan Middleton. Despite, or dis- he loved the episode despite our disrespect for the Legion. Uh, Robert Gross, Far and Water Network. Fawn. I like it. Uh, James – No. No. <laughs> James Guerdon. Just thought of a new great new drinking game for the Who's Who podcast when Chag announced <laughs> that he was going to read off a long list of names for thank yous. You must continue to drink from the start to the finish of the list. You may want to hit the pause button and get an ample supply of the beverage of your choice. No cheating and use the three names that are read from Google+. Plus. <laughs> and on that note, folks, get ready. Get your beverage of choice. Here we go. Giving out thanks to people on Facebook. And start drinking now. Aaron Bias, Aaron Moss, Alberto Miranda, Al- Alexander Adrock. Barry Reese, Ben Herman, Chad Argerbright, Christopher Chance, Christopher J. Warden, Cosmic Cat, Curtis Line, Daniel Cynical Adams, Daria Brooks, DC in the 80s, Eric Rex Peterson, Gene Hendricks, J. David Weeder, Joel Riviora, Johnny English, Keith G. Baker, Kyle Benning, Marcos Aradnia, Mark Sauter, Matthew Rodriguez, Negative Steve Mandel, Oscar Olede, uh, Paul Rue, Rod Pruitt, Sam Cameron, Tim Wallace, Chester Mia, Sean Lee, Defiant Nightwood, that can't be his real name, Zeb Oswald, Little Russell Burbage from Manchester, Alabama, Jeremy Morrison, Fantaniverse, Abel Padilla, Sean Brock, Mike Fedyek, uh, Fedyek, uh, Jay Wilson, Ronnie Ling, Superman in the Aquaman Facebook page, and Lucien Dessar. Take a breath. Over on so, Google huh? Plus, I'll do this one for once, what the hell. Uh, Google Plus, Ben Avery, Ryan Daly, Dale Russell, Luke Giaconetti, Gene Hendricks, The Hammer Strikes, Luke Dobb, Kevin Culp, Samuel Merillat, Keith G. Baker, Siskoid, Ed Johnson, Zale Avix, great name, I think he was in the Legion, Justin Bradley, over on Tumblr, Thunderwing Matrix, Fiverr's Revenge, Cannonan uh, Rose, Archway. Uh, it's, supposed to be, it's supposed to be a V, Cavana Rose. Oh, Cavana Rose. Archway's Page, Ryan Daly Comics, Red Rider Classic, Barry Reese Pulp, 
Catch Trim, Danny Phantom Gone. And, of course, uh, I mentioned Tsuji Tunes earlier. Uh, over on Instagram, uh, Devin Peacock, Kichi Baker, Joe Mello, Bradley Null, Crystal Frost, Killer Frost, a part of the Insta League, Carlos Huezo, Cody from Comic Binding, Angry Hero Sean, Avid Gamer, Callum Naur, DC Dill, Diego o- Ojeda, Lily L., goes by Flock SK, Ryan DC2814, DC History, David McNeil, Pop Funk, Fuzdohu, and Jason from Dr. Nevermore. And on Twitter, uh, heard from uh, Alexander Adrock, Ange, Count Druncula, David Golden, Artist, Diallo Frank, Ventaniverse, Glenn Walker, Hector Negrete, Kichi Baker, Matthew Selby, Paul Bowler, Ray Douglas, Sean McLaughlin, Sin, uh, Tim Wallace, who goes by Court Industries, Tom Panarese, Tony D, Martin Gray, Pablo Estella, Matt Centauri Griffith, and Gra Vaden Rose. Um, Siskoid said that this episode was that episode was going to be a great Legion test for Rob. Then uh, I had a gravelly voice. He said, uh, Greg Arujo said the first few seconds of the Fire and Water podcast, I had to wonder if Firestorm fan had a cold or was attempting a Christian Bale Batman voice. And he'll respectfully disagree with me that uh, that the pre-crisis Lord Sanus um, was so much better than the post-crisis. I think that is actually the first documented time that Greg Arujo was wrong that I know of, hmm. just to be clear. Uh, Candy Corn, which is Dr. Bashir, said that Who's Who 13 was the first issue he bought, and he blames his love for all things DC on that. Uh, let's see. Uh, also heard from Keith W.T. Morris, and finally, Eduardo Escobar and <laughs> Eduardo Escobar and Bauhaus 45, which is our buddy Hector Negrete, had a good old time deciding to make fun of me and my pronunciation skills. And he said he would h- kill to hear Shag pronounce Esterno do Masto Hejodo on the next podcast. Yeah, I tried. That's I got it wrong. Good, man. That's tough. It, All right. It was, it's Spanish, too. It's not even English. So they're really testing me. <laughs> There we go, folks. That is Who's Who podcast, issue number 14. Come back next month. We got a whole bunch more M's. I guess we do, if the alphabet is any judge. So uh, you can find us at AquamanShrine.net, FirestormFan.com, and then on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and Shag's on Instagram and Google Plus and some other things, perhaps. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for this. It's very, very late. We're going to wrap it up for this episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And I guess uh, what, who's, what's, what, we still don't have a tagline, right? We don't have a tagline. We don't have a tagline. Good night. All right. Good night. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot.
John Jones, Banner from Mars, created in 1955, but it was a it was a sci-fi. Uh, uh, crime strip. As we talked about before, crime was big in the 1950s. Sci-fi was never as big as people seem to think it was in comics, but it was still worth noting, and they were doing a lot of comics at that time trying to exploit the seeing appeal that, you know, hoping for crossover appeal with the sci-fi movies of the time. So, for the early years, it was basically a plain clothes detective solving fairly mundane crimes using secret Martian powers. It wasn't until around 1959 that he actually began to take on the affectations of a superhero, and that was because Julie Schwartz had become uh, uh, known for bringing back the superhero. He had brought back the Flash, Green Lantern, and it was pro- progressing from there. And so looking to bring back the Justice Society, we had the Justice League. And at the time, Mort Weisinger was very possessive of Superman, and editor Jack Schiff was very possessive of Batman. So even though people like to talk about the Magnificent Seven, really the Justice League was five heroes. Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern. And the Martian Manhunter was in that Superman role. And when you think about how many teams were formed off the template established by the Justice League, the Martian Manhunter was one of your first strong guys. He was your Superman guy who, you know, you could rely upon if nobody else could to save the day. Um... So that really uh, made him more conscious in the readers' minds. I think that he would have been very much a footnote in history had it not been for him being too horned in the Justice League for another reason than he had a lot of powers and could stand in for Superman. 